Hey, man, how's the game? Uh, well, you know, it's funny watching baseball when you don't really, you don't really have a vested interest in any of the particular teams. And then I get like, a, I develop a little mini interest in one of the teams. And, right. uh, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know. It's how it was. We were talking about it during the World Cup where like two teams yeah. who you don't really care about start playing. And then one of them will do something and it's like, that's my team. And right. then you, then you're, you're like invested for like, you're like a fan for an hour. Yeah. For, you know, until the duration is, is over. Yeah. And then. Then there's penalty kicks and you don't give a crap anymore. Right. No, I became a, a, a temporary fan of the Los Angeles Dodgers um, simply because their manager is Don Mattingly, who was on he was on the Yankees when I was growing up. He was my boyhood Yankees <laughs> idol. <laughs> that is a very you thing to do. That is so arbitrary. It's crazy. He was my favorite Yankee growing up. He was awesome. I always loved him. Do you call the managers was- Yankees? Like they're that's. Uh, if you're well, in, he, if no, you're he was a player for the Yankees. Oh, he was. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, he played first base. He was an all-star first baseman for the Yankees through the '80s, and then uh, uh, sort of a tragic career where he's he's without doubt the greatest New York Yankee who never won a World Series, and not only never won a World Series, he never won a, a playoff series. He played right after the Reggie Jackson era Yankees had won some World Series. And then he played right through the 80s and the early 90s when the Yankees were actually pretty bad overall. He was like the star player on a pretty bad team. And then in his last season, and it got cut short. He had a relatively shorter career than most players. He had a bad back, um, 1995. From injury or just Yeah, well, just wear and tear. Yeah, Yeah, who knows? He kind of had a funny batting stance where he he squatted over. Maybe that contributed to it. But anyway, he had a bad back, so it was going to be his last year. And the Yankees made the playoffs for the first time in a long time. And they lost a uh, a game five in a five game series to the uh, the Seattle Mariners, John Moltz's team. That's not a real team. That's a Canadian team. Then he retired, and then, then starting in '96, the Yankees won four of the next five World Series. Ah, uh, that's, yeah, that's so it was that sort stinks. of yeah, yeah. So he's sort of a tragic figure in my mind, and now he's managing the Dodgers. And they, yeah, they but are, you know, he's still working in the field. That's right. Not everybody gets to do that, right? Well, no, that's true. No, and they just uh, right before we started recording, the Los Angeles Dodgers were eliminated. <laughs> <laughs> that just yeah, it's like the cherry on his shit Sunday, basically. Yeah, um, and it was close. It was three to two, heartbreaker. So you know what? You're turning me around on baseball a little bit. Boy, the playoffs. Playoff baseball is a different sport. Yeah, I can see playoff that. anything is great, but yeah, yeah. I could see how a lot of people, someone who doesn't really get it, would could get it. Same thing to me with with the uh, soccer. Where I'm not going to really watch regular season soccer, but I, I'm into the World Cup now. Yeah, good. Uh, um, the Euro too is probably going to be exciting. Right. You know, right. you still Euro's weird because you're going to have to pick something at random, right? Like right. you're never going to have a home team in the Euro, but right. Um, but no, what I mean, your conversation with Ben last week was great. I loved it. Um, what I like about soccer. Is that, and, and and it's kind of what you guys discussed. Is that eventually the scoreline doesn't matter. It's the stories that get told after the game, mm. and you cover that a lot with Derek Jeter, right? Where you could both recount crazy moves that he did, and you know, not once did you ever really mention the scoreline. Right, and if yeah, if you look at the, the sort of spreadsheet, like you know, here's the game reduced to numbers. It just doesn't. It doesn't show up. It doesn't pop off the page. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I call it, when I'm dismissive of a stat, I call it a baseball stat. Right. Only because 
without context, so much stuff is just completely pointless. Like there's really no reason to it. And I, I was adverse to baseball for many years, probably still am, uh, because it seems to fetishize stats in a way because nothing else is going on <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, it lends itself to it too. It's the pace yes. of the game yeah. too, and it's it, and it's a game that lends itself to the the keeping of innumerable statistics, right. you know. And yeah. and there's ways to show that all sorts of those statistics correlate, at least in some way, to winning and losing. And sure. so you can, you know, it's it just lends itself to just elaborate, elaborate, uh, you know, statistical analysis. I know, and that so, that turned me off though, because when you start telling stories about. Derek Jeter or whoever, I'm all into that. I love that kind of stuff. That that's kind of why I like soccer, right? Like it's the I don't want to say heroism, but it's the uh, you know it's the ups and downs of individual players and teams and the, that kind of thing that that captures my attention. Yeah, I but a bottom line for me, and I know I every week there's always somebody out there who's like, I don't care about any sports at all. But the bottom line for me, and it's the appeal, and it's it fits right in with you know, and like take a guy like Jason Snow, yeah, who's you know a big baseball fan. He likes football too, U.S. football, yeah. Um, but you know, obviously, with all the incomparable stuff he does, he he consumes an enormous amount of uh, fiction, narrative fiction. Yeah. Um, it to me, it, a lot of sports fans, or at least that like in my friend Matt's parlance, stats versus story guys. The story guys like me, we watch sports for the same reason we like to watch things like movies. Right. Is there's drama. But it's the weird thing with sports. With a movie, ostensibly there's always going to be drama and there's always going to be a good ending and a you know and good story. Sometimes a sports game is just boring because one team jumps out eight nothing and it stays eight nothing and it's kinda well that was kind of dull. So you can't fake it. And then all of a sudden, sometimes it's three to two in the ninth inning and the bases are loaded and nobody's out. Mm-hmm. And you've got a real story. And nobody, there's no one person like an author or a director who gets to decide how it turns out based on <laughs> what they think. Yeah. You know, and it's that difference. It's that realness. It's that sometimes it is, you know, it, it, it's going to end, you know, the good guys, you know, meaning the team I'm rooting for. <laughs> the good guys are gonna are yeah. are gonna lose. Yeah. They're not always gonna win. Uh, you know, unlike this uh, this Dodgers manager, All right? Like a good, Don Mattingly, yeah, great guy. Best nickname ever. His nickname, literally, I swear to God, his nickname is Donnie Baseball. Oh God, okay, <laughs> this guy's aces. I like this guy. Right? How does he like really the, Donnie Baseball? How does he get yeah. that? Like that's crazy. How did he get that nickname? Just because he's like the baseball player's baseball player. Really, he's that kind yeah. of. Oh, okay. Did you ever see it? Yeah, I swear to God, I Twittered it the other day. He's the guy who, there's a YouTube clip of it, like in a regular season game in 1985, there was a foul ball, that, a big high pop-up going over into the stands, and he ran over to see if he could catch it, and it went too far into the stands, he couldn't catch it. Meanwhile, there's a kid in the front row eating a box of popcorn, and the kid had turned around to look where <laughs> the foul ball landed, and Mattingly just reaches over and takes a handful of popcorn I saw out of the that. That is him. <laughs> And then he just, the kid turns around and is like, whoa, Don Mattingly just stole my popcorn. And then Mattingly just gives him like a little nod, like, thanks for the popcorn, kid. That's awesome. And he goes back to first base to finish the game. <laughs> that's awesome. Right? That's yeah. that's why he's Donnie Baseball. Uh, yeah. Good nickname. Because like, while playing at the highest level, he's also thinking, well, I could go for some popcorn. That's that's perfect. See? Stories. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's see, that's way better than what was batting average. Yeah, yeah who cares? Whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right, but he took the popcorn. Now that's, <laughs> <Right>. that. 
<laughs> that makes him cool to me. I don't care what he right. he's on my fantasy team. That you know exactly. He's immediately there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you want to talk non-sports? If anybody's yeah. listening, stop first of all. Right. Second, uh, I'm not a sports guy, but I do enjoy stories. Right. So. Yeah. To me, that's just it, though. It's just a way. It's a way of hopefully manufacturing some actual drama that's going to be. Uh, it's going to come to a conclusion. Fair and square, based right. on you know the athletic abilities of the people involved. Well, not even fair and square if you got a dirty ref, well, which is like right, soccer exactly, half the time, right. and that's right. kind of part of the story. But even then, it adds to the yes. to the story. Yes, I I totally agree. Yeah. Right. And the other thing too about that to me it makes sports appealing is that it's the fact it's the complaint that that a lot of people have about sports is that well it's pointless. Well, that's if, sort of what I makes mean, it. It makes it exciting because you can get all invested in it and the team you're rooting for and we're invested when lose and it's, you know, it hurts and you're upset and you feel terrible for a day. Uh, but ultimately it's okay because it was just a game. It's nothing. Yeah. Right. You, you've Whereas, only invested what you've emotionally put on the table, right? Like, right. Like, this is, it's not going to change anybody's life. Right. Whereas, unless you, know, you actually bet heavy, which don't don't do that. That's bad. Right. But yeah. whereas concentrating and obsessing over something that is even more dramatic, but but where the stakes are real, like you know the situation in the Middle East yes. between Israel and Palestine, or with this ISIS outfit, anything like that. Uh, there's all sorts of incredibly exciting drama involved. Uh, great stories to be told, but the stakes are so real, and it's it's real stuff. It, you can't you can't take it lightly. Yes, you can't you yeah. know when when there's a big turn of events, you can't go. Well, that was something, but too bad he you know. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think with sports, win or lose, in a way, you can always laugh at yourself. Right. Like uh, I can't believe I was so happy that this random team did this random thing, or I can't believe that I was so bummed out that they that they lost. You know, with real life stuff like. Like what you're talking about, uh, right. you don't get to laugh at yourself because it's you know people's lives on the line. It's like a real thing. So. Right. We can be happy that the Death Star got blown up because you know the six billion people on the planet Alderaan weren't real people. <laughs> exactly. There, yeah. There wasn't actually a real Holocaust that happened. It was just something that was in a space movie. Yeah. Like if you know. actually think about how horrible that movie is, that there's a lot of dead people in there. <laughs> right. It could be like the number one dead people movie. Right, there might have been more people killed in that movie than in any other movie ever filmed. I think that that's actually that's an interesting argument. I I would almost certainly think that that's it's, the case. It's got to be close, right? I mean, right. If you assume we didn't know, learn much about Alderaan, but let's assume it was roughly Earth-like. Yeah. Then it, you know, five to six billion people on there. Right. Plus all of the people dead on the Death Star, which has been yeah. gone into. Yeah. Plus right. the innumerable so, rebels killed. Right. It makes right. it makes Darth Vader seem like a like a teddy bear, <laughs> right? Because he only killed one person he's, at a yeah, time. Yeah, he's not. <laughs> he's not <Right>. that bad. <laughs> yeah, he didn't have anything to do with firing the Death Star. That was all Tarkin. Exactly. God, I hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> want to talk what people want to hear about? Yeah. You know what though? It's a good time before we get started on what people really want to hear about. Uh, let's knock out the first sponsor, uh, and let me tell everybody about our good friends returning. As a sponsor of the show, our good friends at Harry's. Harry's uh, makes high quality men's shaving stuff and makes it available at a terrific price. Um, I've told you this before. 
but it's a great story. The Harry's was started by a guy who went in, who was out of town traveling, went into a drugstore because he realized he didn't pack his shaving stuff, went in, and all the shaving stuff in the drugstore is all locked up behind a case. You have to get a clerk. You have to let him open it. And then you find out it's like 40 bucks for a pack of razor blades. So he thought, hey, there's got to be a better way. This stuff, there's only like two or three big companies, Gillette and Schick and whoever else who control this stuff. These prices have got to be artificially high. Uh, ends up, they are. <laughs> and Who to guess? So, so Harry's focus is, is just a pure old-fashioned disruption. Uh, you go, you sign up at Harry's, you get a kit, you get a, a reusable uh, razor, and then you get a couple of blades to start with. And then going forward, you just get new blades sent to you. Uh, really good price. Half the price of the competitors like Gillette. Marco did the research. I would just steal his research from an ATP where they sponsored. But uh, Marco went to Amazon and priced uh, you know, a pack of Gillette Fusion Blades uh, it was like 40 some bucks. That's Amazon. And we know Amazon cuts the prices, you know, about as low as they're going to go retail. Same equivalent uh, pack of blades from Harry's was uh, 20 bucks. Really? So when they say half the price, they re- it's not like oh, about half the price, literally half the price. Ship them right to you. Really, really cool product design. Um, that just nice feel, nice feel to the stuff. Really nice heft. Really like it. I, I love the thing. It's just feels like something that's going to last forever. Uh, nice branding, everything's nice. Nice packaging, everything opens up nice. There's no blister packs or any crap like that. It's just a nice little cardboard package you open up. Uh, just couldn't be better. Uh, if you're using other anything else, you're probably paying too much, and you're probably not getting uh, as good as stuff. And, and the other thing, I always love this too, because it just shows how serious these guys are, is that they're not just like white labeling some kind of razor blades they get from some generic contractor. Like they went to Germany and bought a razor blade factory, and and they <laughs> make this, their own German engineered razor blades. Uh, like they're not just buying uh, you know Chinese razors and and putting Harry's name on it. They making their own in Germany. I love it. Um, super convenient, just like anything else that once you get used to ordering it online, instead of having to go to the store and buy it every couple weeks or months, you just never go back. Um, really good stuff, high quality, great price. So here's what you do. And you'll get five bucks off your first purchase. If you do what I tell you to do, which is go to harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com and use the promo code talk show. Just T-A-L-K-S-H-O-W. And you'll save five bucks off your first purchase. And their regular prices are already really low. So go do that. My thanks to Harry's. Uh, Full disclosure, Harry's also sponsors my show. But you know what? Pretty awesome. I'm really happy. Have you, in the past two days, I got uh, some samples of new shaving cream and an aftershave. Oh, I didn't get anything. They don't send me. Oh, they don't like you. No, but they love me. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's, it's, I think Whiskers stuff. takes all this. I think Whiskers <laughs> probably, probably just swipes everything. <laughs> um, no, you know, I heard that. I heard that they, they got a new cream. They have a, like a lathering cream instead of a, like the first cream that they have, which is the one I use is, uh, yep. it doesn't really work up a lather. It's just like, it's just, just a cream. It works great, right. but it doesn't like foam up. So the new one, and that some up. people just, yeah. yeah, some people just like it to foam up Yep, and now they have one. And of today, just today and haven't tried it yet, but the bottle looks awesome. Uh, I have like yeah. an aftershave sort of thing to, to try tomorrow. Yeah. But I, it's great. I love it. And you know what? Uh, besides the product, the packaging is incredible. Like yeah, just I love the it. way the delivery, the design, everything about it is just 
amazing. Like, I, I, I would just, buy I, it. I don't even care what's in the bottle. I feel bad. It's one of those things. It's like Apple products where I feel bad throwing the box out. Yeah, I keep my boxes until I get made fun of to the point that it's like, no, I've really <laughs> got to get rid of this thing. I still have my Mac Pro box. It's just sitting there. No good reason. Anyway. Um, so, I don't know. We're, what, 20 minutes in? You want to <laughs> get the show going? Yeah. Here's my big, the big topic, I think. And, and I don't know where it will lead us when we get into the details. But it's this idea that we've, you, you and I have been involved in several of these threads this week on Twitter. A couple other yeah. people have too. And I think it's it not, not that I'm hunting for people who agree with me, but I just there doesn't really seem I, – I found it very curious that there was nobody arguing the other side, which is more or less a, a thesis that – well, there are two ways to pose it. At least this year with iOS 8 and Yosemite, Apple bit off more than it could chew in terms of the, how much it was going to do mm-hmm. and ship. And it's the quality control is suffering, therefore, that they – they tried to do too much by September when they had to ship iOS 8 because the new iPhones needed iOS 8. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this annual schedule there, not that the annual schedule is necessarily too, uh, too short a period, but that they're trying to do too much in those annual schedules. And if they want to do that much between major right. releases, it has to be more than a year. And if they want it to be a year, they have to do less at a time. Okay. So yeah, yeah I've, I don't know. I I was asked about this, and I kind of disagreed with you. Uh, and stated like that, I actually do agree with you because I think we, we probably think this similarly on a lot of these subjects. Um, you can't keep making the giant leaps that each of these OSs take in the space of a year. And the reason for that is that you don't have a year to do it. You've got maybe four to five, maybe six, if you're lucky, months. Um, yeah, you and you made this point on uh, was it Vector last week or Debug? It last could week? I I don't know I don't know. <laughs> well, whichever, whichever one, it was, but yeah. yeah, explain. But explain. I thought this was, uh, and I don't think that this. I don't think people think this because people think like, well, it's been a year since iOS seven came out, so why couldn't they do this in a year? But explain. Right. So the, I mean, the reason is, and this is not just me. This is you know I've talked to project managers and, and people in, inside Apple, so I actually know that this is. Pretty much the fact, um, or the case. I don't want to say fact because I can't prove it. Um, the first few months are spent fixing the bugs that you did ship, right? That's the eight point zero one, and right. clearly, and even if, which is clearly a for- panic, and we should get back to. Right. But yeah, if you forget, if you forget what it was like a year ago when iOS seven first shipped, don't worry about it. Just think about what what you must assume people at Apple who work on iOS are doing right now today is they've got to be working on iOS eight bugs. Have to be. Yeah. Everybody knows it. Yeah. All right. So they're doing that now. You ship but it. Call that. Call that October, November, maybe even December. Yeah. So the iOS what eight point zero point one bug hit forty to fifty thousand people out of what I understand to be like a ten million install base. Despite that being a low percentage, that is a lot of people, and it is it's bad mojo it's it's bad news right so you, yeah you, and it's it's enough like and you know it's you know i've clearly this is small sample this is the definition of a small exactly. sample size yeah. but the day that that happened that the, the 8.01 day i think it was a wednesday uh, whatever day of the week it was midday and uh my pal lee the the bartender proprietor oh, of okay hey lee uh <laughs> he uh he was guest bartending at a uh, jose garcia's restaurant here in philadelphia uh for happy hour 
and invited me and Amy to come. And so, um, got, got the kid taken care of and, you know, five went out and had a couple cocktails with Lee at a new place. And we, he, he sat us next to a guy and a guy he sat us next to happened to be, he was like, are you John Gruber? And I was like, and I don't get that much in Philadelphia. And I was like, yes, I am. And he ends up, he's a big fan. Uh, he, he's just an attorney. It works in Philadelphia. Also a fan of Hopsing Laundromat bricked his iPhone six plus that day hey, ouch. because he like came out, he had like, he had like court in the morning, had lunch, came out of lunch, saw that 8.01 was out, hit update. And at, by one o'clock, his brand new iPhone six plus couldn't make phone calls. So, you know, I, I thought that was really interesting. I was like, wow, I just, you know, met somebody who got hit by the bug, you know? So I was like, seems to me like it's pretty prevalent. 40 to 50,000 people. Again, it could have been a lot worse if it was everybody. Right. But I think the window uh, was pretty small, right? It was right. I don't know how many hours it was posted for. Well, but it was weird though because I it, it it's one of those weird things about the way stuff propagates around the world with Apple and the the, mm-hmm. the CDNs that they use, where they were still I was still getting hearing from people on Twitter saying at like four in the afternoon on Eastern time that their iPhone was still offering it, and they knew not to, to allow it, but if they didn't, you know, hadn't been following the tech news of the day, they might have. That it you know still hadn't been rescinded from at least their phone's perspective. Yeah, and you know you have a pretty broad audience, but yeah. that is a tiny slice of the Apple right. consumers, right? So yeah, and I guess it kind of makes sense that 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 would be the max. You know that something like that would be the number because if it was a hundred percent of people, then it would have been caught. Yeah, exactly. It must yeah. whatever the circumstances were that made that 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 made this, and I've still not seen anybody. Apparently, it's a Delta know. update. Like if you. Just it's the Delta download from a specific version that screws it up. Yeah, well, apparently. I, yeah, I but it must have been something like that because if it had affected everybody, it never would have made it out of QA. No. If it only affected, I don't know, five percent for some reason, you know, the the the, you know, if you have this, if you have that, if you have this, then the you know it breaks your phone. Right. Just didn't wasn't in their testing matrix, I guess. I think it was Business Insider that tried to name the. Uh, well, they did actually name the QA manager. No, business. It was Business Week. Oh, I'm sorry. I've got. <laughs> that's yeah. It's funny that I go to Business Insider, but but yeah, okay. So Business Week. Uh, don't do that. That's horrible reporting. You're missing the story, and it's completely pointless. Yeah, that was a really. I thought that was so uncalled for. It's just and, dumb. It's it's like when uh, Jesus Diaz called out the guy that lost his iPhone four prototype. Right. And guess what? Hi, Jesus. I'm going to call you out. Um, which is again a dick move. It was but, even worse. It, I would I would say it was even worse. Really? Well, maybe no, not. Worse. No, yeah, maybe it was not, an entire was... piece based on who this guy was. There's no reason yeah. for that. This poor kid. I'm yeah. calling him a kid, but whatever. He's he was twenty some odd. Made Dude, a genuinely honest mistake. It was an honest mistake. People right. screw up. There was no need to rake him over the coals and and out him. Like you know, at least focus on the phone that you got. You really don't need to do a piece about the the, you know. The guy that goofed and lost it. Yeah, uh, I, I was going to say that it was worse though, and I don't. Worse is the wrong word, but I would say and it, the, way, the reason I was going to say that though is that at least with the kid who lost the iPhone, he really did lose the iPhone, and what he was accused of having done is exactly what he did. That he had, uh, as an engineer, he had access to pre-release iPhone. What was it? The iPhone four to use in the wild for field testing, and left it at a 
bar or restaurant. Well, we don't know. Or it was lifted. Or, or it was lifted. But, but you know. But End of the day. You know, he, it was not with him when he left, right? Right. Which is exactly what happened. Nobody's yeah. – that's not in dispute. And Whereas apparently the, that, the first thing he did in the morning is, or is like call in and be like, yo, yeah. yo I lost my iPhone. So Right. Yeah. Right. He did the right thing, you know. But with right. the Business Week story, naming the guy in, uh, as being responsible for this 801 update – and then further saying that he was on the QA team, that he was the leader of the QA team that pushed out Apple Maps. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's actually wrong, though. Like, yeah. I, you know, I did the same thing as you. I asked around. And, it, and you know, the guy is responsible for some level of QA at Apple. But nobody inside Apple that I talked to said that there's any sense that he, like, single-handedly pulled the trigger or deserves – that anybody other than the entire company deserves team credit for the for the fiasco. It, you know, Business Week made it sound like one guy was like hitting a button and saying it's ready to go. Yeah, it's, uh, it's and feel, his role, his role on Maps was had nothing to do with the Maps data. It was the Maps app, which nobody, yeah. I, which I know for users they don't have. A, it doesn't make a difference. They don't see a difference between the data and the app. Um, but anybody who's listening to this show knows knows the difference. Do you know you what? Have... Anybody reporting on technology for Business Week should know the difference. Right. It's like being, you know, it, it's it, it's bad. It's reporting. sort of like it's, just... it's sort of like the difference between your email client and what's in your emails. You know, right. it's like it's not your email yeah. client's fault if the emails are full of junk. Uh, and the Maps app worked fine. It was just that it had bad data and you know empty data that it was missing a lot of data, yeah. which he had nothing to do with. It was that wasn't what he was QAing. <laughs> and yet there he is listed in Business Week as like, you know, and the insinuation it wasn't quite directed, but the only insinuation you could draw from it is that was Apple. the worst thing though is that it was an insinuation and it wasn't like, um, putting all the wood behind the arrow. Like right. at least that would be a thing. This was just more like this was like backhanded gossipy stuff. Yeah, and it's like the insinuation is Apple has an uh, you know at least one inept bozo running you know doing right. QA but, who's who's still you know after he sh you know made a terrible mistake with the maps is still bricking new iPhones. Yeah, which is so far it's just way off base. Yeah, somebody buy that guy a beer because he probably deserves it after this. I'll tell you, can I, I don't think I've ever told this story per publicly. I don't think, but I will. The writer, or at least one of the writers on that story, was Adam Satoriano. Right. And um, Adam Satoriano, a couple of years ago, wrote a piece for Business Week on me, yours truly, John Gruber, uh, which I went along with half-heartedly. I did talk to him, uh, I think at Thirsty Bear, when I was in San Francisco. <laughs> um, well, that's your first mistake. Uh, that was daytime. And I met with a colleague of his here in Philly for follow-up questions. Uh, and it was about what I do, the, the phenomenon of – it was well, it was posed to me initially as that they were going to write a piece about the independent Mac journalism web. Mm -hmm. People like me and Arnold Kim, who, who founded right. Mac Rumors, and maybe Jim Dalrymple and other people like that um, – you know, people who are covering Apple, but but as you know, either individuals like me or as as new in, you know publications like the Loop and Mac right. Rumors, uh, and it became very obvious to me as the, the the interviews progressed that it was not going to be that that it was more just about me, which I found uncomfortable, and I encouraged them to not make it about me and make it about all of us together, of which I'm just one example. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And so I kind of, and as it, as that became clear to me, I participated less and less. And, you know, and I, I don't think I wasn't rude and I didn't stop talking to them, but I stopped participating and they asked me to pose for a photograph and I refused. Um, That's awkward. Well, but I've seen the photographs that they had published of others and yeah. they made people look goofy. Like they did a, <laughs> uh, I told them this. Yeah. So like, uh, what's the guy's name? Gene Munster, yeah. who's famously the analyst. TV. Who, uh, man, yeah. I'm, I'm the, pulling for Gene, man. Love that guy. So I, I haven't looked at this while, but see if you, if you Google Gene Munster business, I don't know, I, forget, I think it was Business Week, I, but it might have been Bloomberg. But Bloomberg owns Business Week. Mm-hmm. Gene Munster says Apple is going to a thousand bucks. That might be it. No, no, that's photograph. from 2012. I don't want to make too much fun of him because the stock splits instead. So it's just, it's very not fair. It's at 700 now if you don't. Yeah, there the split, it is. That's so, it though. Yeah. But that's it. That's yeah. app. But that's it. Look at the picture of him. Why would you do this to somebody? Right. It's a very, Why? to me, I think a very unflattering uh, so- photo. I mean, I think he's goofy because of the TV stuff that he keeps bringing up. But this is right. just, that. Don't do that to him. He's smarter than that. Yeah, he's you know he's they make I've him look him. like a clown. Yeah, he yeah, uh, and and I've seen other publications do this, and mm-hmm. I can also I and so I wanted nothing to do with it. And you don't get to approve it. It's not like if they shoot twenty photos of me, I get to then pick which one they can use. They're all theirs. You yeah. agree to let them do it, and I yeah. wanted nothing to do with that. Nor would I allow them to use any of the photos I have of me. So they, I think if you look at the profile they had of me, if you Google it, they, they found like a, I don't know, a third party photo, like a creative commons thing from Flickr or something. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, the, the, the main point though, is that there were then, then at the, towards the end, they came out and asked the question I knew that they were going to ask, which is how much money do you make? And I said to Adam Satoriano on the record, I said, I don't know. I don't keep track. And he uh, paused yeah. and he said, really? And I said, really, I don't keep track. And I said, off the record? And he said, what? And I said, that, what, you, what I just told you is what you can quote me on. You can quote the world in Business Week. I don't know. I don't keep track. Uh, and other than that, I'm not going to talk about it. Right. Uh, and he, you know, he was like, so I could run that. I said, sure, I would love it if you ran that. I still wish he had run it. But instead, uh, when the thing came out, it said, like, Gruber wouldn't discuss it. Um, but somebody familiar with his finances who <laughs> can't be with hell, I swear to God, uh, because he doesn't have permission, set, pegged his income at, I, I don't know what it was, $400,000. Well, you have a big organization. So, I mean, God knows who leaked that. Right. Well, here's the thing that made me so mad about that. And I, I called Adam on it pu- privately. I didn't, not yeah. publicly, because I didn't want to bring it up. Cause Until now. <laughs> well, it, I yeah. feel like on the talk show, maybe I can do it and it yeah. won't be yeah. in print. But I said, I know that it's bullshit. I know that it's bullshit because there's literally only three people on the planet who have any familiarity with my finances at all. That's me, my wife, and my accountant. And I guess maybe if there's a fourth, it would be somebody at the IRS who, who handles the tax return that my accountant submits. But even then I doubt that there's anybody who remembers my name. I presume that those things are completely automated. Robots. Forget it. Yeah. It's just robots. So there's literally only three people on the planet. And I know for a fact that he didn't speak to, uh, 
So, so Amy didn't rat you out. She didn't no, like, and I, go to I, a payphone on the corner and like right. privately like. <laughs> right. So what I presume that he did, I don't think he made it up. I presume that what he did is he found one person who sponsored my site and asked, you know, what did you pay for the sponsorship and multiplied it or something like that. I don't know, but there's no way that it, that that would qualify. Well, I that, mean, that, you 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 present rates on your website, right? Right, but so the take description that multiplied. It's but that's dumb. not what he said, though. He did yeah. it, the description he used in print in Business Week is absolutely incompatible with any way that he could have come up with the number. Yeah, and I thought that was so telling about. Well, you know what? It's like, hey, kid, get me a coffee. Go to this website. Find me this number. Multiply it by twelve. Right. It doesn't. It's just dumb. It's just anyway. Right, and it, but I feel like it's dishonest. I feel like if yeah. that's what he did, then he should have said in print. You know. He should have spelled that out just like you did in print and said, as a ballpark estimate, there you go. Yeah. Um, no, but what he said was that somebody familiar with my finances who didn't have – which it's made me mad in two ways because the first way is that it's – I know it's not true. But the right. second way is that it insinuates that there's somebody who's close to me who betrayed me, which is even more angering. Yeah. that. Uh, yeah. I hadn't even thought of it like that. Yeah, that's, that was like my secondary reaction, and in yeah. fact, that actually bothered me even more. That somebody that I would I would share my finances with somebody, and that they would blab off the record to Adam Satoriano at Business Week, like, which did why not happen. Would you right? Yeah. So it always, and I always file that in my head whenever I see. I, I've never, I've always been a little bit skeptical of any unnamed sources in any anything I read online, but after that, I'm even more so when I see information attributed to people familiar I'm, with the matter yeah you have to right i yeah i agree with you i've i've rejected that intellectually but uh this is like a visceral rejection you know right. like just being your pal i know that no that's nobody would do that i, I don't understand yeah i i am not a fan of adam satoriano's work so he outed this guy at QA, and right. I think that was a that was a hack job and whatever, pointless. We got way off track because I was telling you why uh, putting out an OS every year is kind of a pain in the ass. Right, Th at least three months after the OS comes out, you're fixing bugs. Minimum, you know, and right. you know during that time, hopefully the management is uh, trying to discern which are the major features that are going to be able to make it into the next release. Um, and then you've got maybe, you know, between, if you're lucky, three to six months to implement them, if you're lucky. And then, More or less squeeze, squeezing it in for WWDC. Yeah, because like, you need you know, to, yeah, exactly. I, I don't know what, you know, what's the December, January timeline for, you know, I last year, what do you call it, Didn't 7.1 didn't come out until March. Yeah. But figure, I figured just as a rough timeline that through December, it was mostly heads down on fixing stuff and doing stuff for 7.1. January and February, I'm sure a lot of resources started going towards iOS 8, Probably. but some was still finishing the final touches on 7.1. Yeah. Um, but then roughly, you know, up until June, you're trying to get the first working version of new stuff done for the next version of the OS. Right. I mean, I'm... Yeah, I, so I'm hesitant to uh, peg m months to certain phases, right? Because you know I think that's fluid. But you know the general process is that you'll get, if you're lucky, three to six months to actually implement stuff. 
and the rest of the time, uh, you know, at the end, you will be fixing everything that you find after you have released it as a beta, which is what WWDC is, right? Right. Uh, and so that means that any one given release has really only had, if you're lucky, three to six months of actual development time in terms of implementing new features, which is... Yeah, like creating. You know, creating. The, create, the creative phase of software development. That's the best way of putting it. Yes, I, t- I totally agree. Yeah. And so having this yearly schedule becomes onerous if you keep trying to bite off giant, you know, portions of the pie. Uh, I, if you know what you want to build, and I believe that Apple probably has like a, a road line that goes out... Uh, you know, a couple of versions at least, or at least they have aspirations. Um, you're doing so only in chunks of three to six months of like pure creative engineering. The rest of the time is spent dealing with the bugs you created in the previous version and the bugs that you're fixing in order to get the current version out the door. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I think ultimately what they want to get out the door may be running up against the limits of what they can achieve in that time frame. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, and I think they've compounded the problem. I mean, uh, the, it, this, well, this all it, sounds very negative, but I mean, they've got Mac OS it, 10, they've got iOS, and now they've got the watch OS. All of them increasingly have to work together. Uh, that's Stuff's going to take time. I think maybe... <laughs> I I think there will be difficulties down the road trying to iron all of this stuff out. There's a lot of I don't know if bootstrapping is quite the right word, but it's you know almost like gear fitting, where mm-hmm. you know with the way that these things are integrated with each other, which is great and which is the way to go, and which is better than the way that everything used to be a lot more siloed mm-hmm. from Apple. Um, but the fact that it's all geared together creates these weird hiccups when one of the gears isn't ready yet, right? Like, I mean, just one example, but I think it's a major one, is the photo situation with iOS. Right, totally. Where where are your photos and where are they, how many are backed up and the ones that are, you know, to the iCloud and... And the fact, I mean, that they're not even trying yet with the, even with when Yosemite ships the new Mac photo stuff, they've already said, they said back at WWDC that that wasn't coming until 2015. Yeah. You know, in terms of having the Mac be a full client towards this new iCloud centric look. Yeah. And, all, and all, yeah, I, I, sign I, up. I heard it suggested that they were doing it in Swift and they, it, it's not, it just takes that long to do that kind of app. Right. And that they know that because they have, they do have some experience with, um, and it's always hard to estimate exactly. It's impossible to estimate exactly how long software is going to take to write, but they know how long it took to write iPhoto and they know how long it took to write Aperture and they know how long a major update to Aperture took and how long a major update to iPhoto took. And they knew that what they were undertaking with this is, you know, in that scope and they know that, you know, that's, that's a nine, 10 months away thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's such a big hole in the process. Um, you know, in the ex- overall experience right now that n- nobody quite knows where their f- photos are and how to make sure that they're everywhere. Yeah, I think they're lucky that they're ahead. Not lucky. They worked hard. They're yeah. ahead. Uh, 
this kind of weird little, you know, as you describe it, the, the cogs not maybe meeting up exactly and there's a little bit of grind. I, you know, I think that's expected. Uh, right. And I don't think it's necessarily cause for alarm. But right. uh, I think institutionally they're going to have to sort of adapt to uh, this kind of interconnected stuff that they're committing to. Um, and again, you mentioned this on your show last week, and I think it's another point. I took a note that it's worth pointing out and just saying it like, hey, look, we're literally armchair quarterbacks here. We're just two guys, you know. Yeah, I think I said that Not, as a joke, but yeah, I really. You know, we're, we're just two guys, yeah. you know, observing from across the continent, and inside Apple, their leadership is running a hundred billion dollar a year corporation. Yes. You know, and we're not. I, I'm not trying to tell them I know better. No, no, no. I'm Please just, do I'm not just, listen to me. Just keep doing good stuff. Don't right. like, yeah. But I'm just saying, though, as an observer, if we want to just take a step back and look at the state that that the whole software ecosystem is across the Apple board right now, it's not good mm. right now in September, October 2014. Rough spot, yeah. Yeah, and last year was very similar. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, I mean, yeah. last year, last year, I think a lot of us chalk, chalked it up to well, I was seven, I was seven. and the, the change uh, forced all being gone, right? So that's going to reboot the process, and they didn't really right. have that much time, yeah. right? That and that those of us who know how long stuff takes were still, and still to this day, I'm kind of in awe that they shipped iOS seven as even though as rough as it was in as short a time as they did. Yeah, that knowing should not have happened. Right, knowing yeah. that it really didn't start until after Forstall's ouster, you know, late in, late in the year 2012. Well, I think some of the technical underpinnings did, but I mean, certainly the redesign was new. And, yeah, and yeah. some of the noodlings of the design had started. Yeah. But, but as a, look, we're going to actually do this, and we actually need to take this style of design and apply it to everything, yeah. top to bottom, didn't start until the... Forstall, ouster and re rejigging of the you know uh, John putting Johnny Ive in front of in charge yeah. of all design software and hardware Big and job. putting putting um uh what's his name in charge of software engineering um Mr. Really? Uh, the hair yeah Craig Federighi yeah Federighi in charge of you know the engineering. Yeah. Um, that's an incredible time frame. And so we I think we 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 as like observers and critics of the company were willing to grant a little bit more grace last year with Iowa seven bugginess until Iowa seven one. Whereas this year it it doesn't really seem it seems like an own goal, like a for an unforced error. Yeah. They didn't necessarily <laughs> double right double sports metaphor. Perfect. Yeah, double sports metaphor. <laughs> I'll go unforced error. I'll take our own goal. Own goal is a little war is too drastic. It's yeah. it's more like an unforced error. That they didn't quite have to do as much of this as they needed to all at once. They didn't have to do third party keyboards right now. Right? Well, they, didn't they? I mean, I don't know. It, I don't personally no, I don't think so. I'm probably not no. going to use a lot of those keyboards. Uh, well, I just don't think they needed to do it yet, you know. I mean, I think in hind, you know, but again, but you it's know hard the, to you forecast. Do, so that. wait, you know the press better than than I do. Uh Do you think that would have been called out? iOS still does not support swipe, which yeah, I imagine I is think the big so. one, right? I yeah. I do think I do think that there was, you know, there's this weird um I mean, the news cycle is always screwed up, right? Like the bending phones and yeah, I do think that you know I, I firmly believe I've said this for years, and I think I think it, you know people outside you can kind of tell like just Schiller alone is not he's not just there to to do ads, 
you know that no <laughs> no he's not <laughs> like marketing i think gets a bad rap and I, there might be some companies that do it this way but that you know somebody creates the product inside the company designs whatever it is and engineers make it and then becomes real and then it's finished and then they hand it to marketing and they say now sell it that's not how marketing works at Apple. That's not how it works at most companies. Like no. Marketing is just describing what the product is, and marketing is part of the design process of making sure that it fills a need and that it's going to sell before it's made. You know, it's oh, yeah. I mean, I was just talking to uh, Neaton Ganatra and uh, Don Melton yesterday. Guess I'm going to name drop. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, they were both they were both being in meetings with with Phil, right. and. No, it's very much part of the design process. Like, this is right. not working the way I'd like it to work. Go make it work better. Like, th this is failing me in these kind of ways. It's it's right. It's part of the process. Like, they're, they're built in from right. the beginning. And then yeah. at the end of the process, when it is time to come up with actual slogans and the billboards and here's the way we're going to present it on stage at the intro event, you're just they're just describing what it actually is. Right. Yeah. And I think that's very, very true of almost all Apple products is that the marketing really is pretty apt. It's well, you know why I think because marketing has been and marketing is a horrible word. I wish I wish there was a better word for it because it's it's been stained too often. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not inherently bad bad word. I know, but, but from like a geek culture, it's like our marketing. Yes. It's like lie to people. No, 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 it's not always that. Um I, I had the same conversation this week on Twitter with Anil Dash and Gina Trapani at uh, ThinkUp. They were the sponsors of Daring Fireball last week, and that their their ThinkUp thing they described as social network analytics. And on Twitter, yeah. or even in my write-up on Daring Fireball, I said, look, analytics is a sullied word. Yeah. Don't think of it that way. Yeah. It's just useful information about you that you would want to know, and it's not like for douchebags. And Anil even said that it's like internally, like they, he knows they couldn't say it, but that they, he thought of a slogan like it's social analytics, but I, we swear it's not douchey uh, because it's, it, and again, there's nothing inherently wrong with the word analytics. Technically, literally by the definition, that is what ThinkUp does. I agree. And that is what, you know, marketing is, you know, it is what it says it is, but the word has just taken on a bad connotation oh, totally. know, over the years. Yeah. Right. No, that's that's great advice. Right. A couple of right. smart, I, smart people I, too. So. Sorry, and I totally understand that one of the marketing stamps for iOS eight this year, and well, not just iOS eight. It goes hand in hand with the fact that the iPhones six are bigger. Mm -hmm. Is it's the shut up about Android year, right? Right, like like like, or or eh, maybe that's a bad way to put it, but it's the here's the things that here here's the the reasonable reasons that somebody might choose Android over iPhone here will will give you our answer on them right so you like bigger phones totally reasonable okay now we have bigger phones uh, you like third party keyboards okay now we have third party keyboards you like sharing information directly between applications and you know doing that you know and it is it's all of the big highlight most of the big highlight features are these sort of things that android had gotten to first yeah i agree uh, even windows phone have you know taken a bite out of that stuff yeah with yeah their... i think windows phone with the sharing between applications was you know yeah. i i i know android had some of that stuff first but i thought the way that windows did it was was more of a uh it, it, oddly enough it was closer to apple yeah, it was a lot more like yeah, Apple's yeah. well services in Mac OS ten. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's just taken Apple 
you know, all these um, literally decades to get back around to services from a... You know why? Uh, so Forstall stomped on the idea of services in OS, uh, iOS. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't know that because you haven't heard the show yet. <laughs> uh, Neaton was just talking about it yesterday. Ooh, and, ouch. Uh, well, not ouch. Um, it was because if every single app that exposed the service as OS ten does, you would just have it like a completely unwieldy services menu. Oh yeah, well that's a great point. Oh, I see, I see. Services as literally, we knew them, literally as you, because I mean, they have a pasteboard server in iOS. Like it, yeah. it, iOS works incredibly similarly to the way the Mac does. Yeah. Uh, if you know how to implement services, um, it's really pretty basic. It's like something goes on a pasteboard, not the not the one that you copy and paste into, but a separate one. Another app can then is invoked and it pulls something off that pasteboard. It does something with it and it pastes it, it copies it back up to the pasteboard. And then the app that you called it from just takes that from the pasteboard and puts it in the app. It is, if you can do copy and paste, you can do services. Yeah, and it's just a very basic little specification of here's the data type. Here's the standard data types for services, and here are the ones I'm interested in. It's dead simple. Me, exactly. Me as yeah. a service, I might only be interested in text. Yeah. So don't even bother with me if the selection is something else. Yeah, it's dead simple. And right. the idea got – well, it, they didn't want to put it into iOS because the – the model, the interaction model, would just eventually become cumbersome with so many applications. Well, and it, you can see it. You can see it on Mac OS X if you have enough third-party apps installed. Yeah, it's the already stupid, and nobody is, looks at that menu. I mean, you and I do, and maybe right. some portion of your listeners. But it's a power user feature. Oh, for it sure, definitely is, yeah. and it's always been and will always be unless they totally revolutionize it, like like with extensions. Yeah, I mean, uh, so my app implements a couple of services. I imagine if you, you know when you ship Vesper for the Mac. I imagine you'll have a service. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I think you'll be surprised at how few people use it, but yeah. it kind of needs to be there just because... The people who do use it will definitely want to well, put it in their work. Yeah, it's because we appreciate these kind of people. Right? And you right. can go into... And it's so weird. It's like you'd never think to look there. You have to go to system preferences. Is it on the Mac? System preferences, keyboards, shortcuts, services... And there you get a, a list of all of the services from all the yes. apps you have installed. And then you can turn off the ones you don't use. Yeah. And it's so like, who would ever think that you would go there to manage the system services to go keyboard shortcuts services. It's just yeah. such a weird hidden. And place. it is a giant list. too. It's kind right. of crazy. Yeah. And it's also a mess too, because the service can specify its own keyboard shortcut, but there's nothing that stops two services from conflicting yeah, keyboard yeah. shortcuts. And there's no good, uh, um, uh, no good way to resolve that. I don't even know what the rules are. Like one of them somehow wins. I don't know if it's the first one to claim it or the last one to claim it, but one of them wins, but it's not, not because you, the user chose yeah, but it. You can't it's, order the first or last one. So it's, Right. I would imagine it's the last one that the system notices and registers, but right. completely arbitrary. Anyway, so right. long story short, uh, yeah, the idea of services got got nixed in iOS, and I thought you meant when I when I when I tooth sucked before and said "ouch," I thought you meant the idea of like extensions for iOS. No, 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 no. You're saying ser literally, like, literally services, services. right? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, that makes sense, and that's forestall at its best. I, I think so Seeing too. And and right. I and I, I imagine this part will make the show. 
We're going to have to edit that because I think (laughs) (laughs) I think some stuff got said that probably shouldn't have got said, uh, or at least publicly. Um, I I think that that was Forstall at his best because he's an old next guy, and services were kind of a feather in the cap of the next system, and for him to be like, no, screw this, we really don't want to go down this rabbit hole. Yeah, and I think he was. I think he had his eyes open enough to see that it didn't play out well on Mac OS X. And I think part of the reason it didn't play out as well on Mac OS X as Next is that Next never really had a lot of developers. They had like some, and some, the ones that they had, even the third party ones, were amazing. Right? The Omni Group is still around. The Omni Group started. Right. This, you know, yeah. they were the, you know, fantastic company. Um, but there weren't, you know, people with Next computers were never complaining about how long their services menu was because all the apps were providing all these services. They that, just didn't have that many apps. That is exactly what Neaton said. He's like, there's like five apps out there. Don't worry about it. Like, it's not an, it's not an issue. <laughs> Try yeah, it on an they, iPhone. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm going to be scrolling for like three weeks trying to figure out, like, where the service is that they want. Right. Like I, when I upgraded to iOS 8, I took the time and like deleted all the apps that I hadn't used. And I figured if I haven't used it in more than a month, just delete it. And if I really ever want it back, I can just go to the app store and get it back. I wish I had. I've got so many and, apps on. Yeah. And I still have so many apps. Yeah. I, you know, and there's some, I was like, oh, I haven't used it, but I still, I like that game. So maybe I'll keep it. But anyway, I still have so many apps. I can't even imagine how long my services menu would be. Yeah. Well, I mean, I imagine you just install apps to try them, right? Yeah. I, and I, I do the same thing. Like, and I, it's a lot easier to just leave them around than it clean Exactly. Them. I just can't be bothered. I literally have grinder on my app, and I'm a straight male. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. It's like every now and then somebody notices. I'm like, I just, I I needed to see what the UI was because people were talking about this app all the time. That's uh, the, just, just in case. <laughs> just in case. Yeah. Kind of curious. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe I'll get drunk. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got I've got Tinder too, which I also never use. Uh, it's just awkward. There's I, I've got period trackers too. Like there's apps on my <laughs> phone that I cannot explain to anybody except that like somebody told me it was a good app to to just see this kind of particular interaction with something. Okay, I'll buy it and try it out. Yeah, Whiskus and I do that a lot. Uh, just if one of us spots an app that has an interesting interaction, we'll we'll buy the app just yeah, just, to, just to see like a good. Uh, oh, you should see the way that you can reorder lists in this app. You don't have to hit edit first. You just you know yeah, do this some weird random thing. Yeah, like what like a long press and then you reorder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then but like what the app actually does is something that's yeah. Who cares uh, what it does? Right. It's it's like yeah. might be managing your you know your glucose levels for diabetes. I don't have diabetes. Yeah. You know? Something like that. Anyway, let's uh, take a break. I'll thank our second sponsor, uh, uh, Grinder. Uh, <laughs> no, wait, no, not Grinder. No, Grinder's it awesome. Is, Let me, you know. Yeah, but it's not our sponsor. It is uh, Backblaze. Our good friends at Backblaze. Uh, I have a great story to tell. This is amazing. This is. Um, we are recording on Tuesday, October seventh. Uh, last night, Monday, October sixth, my uh, main Mac. Uh, fan was on real loud at my desk. My wife was going to record her podcast. And I thought, you know what? And I, I checked the uptime and it was like 14 days. I was like, oh, that's a long time to run it. This thing, I'll just restart. So I restarted the Mac and to let it sit at that login screen and just shut up and let the fan go off. So when she records, she records at my desk because that's where the microphone is. Um, and then she recorded her podcast uh, 
just the tip with uh, Paul Kfass's, uh good podcast. Um, PK. I came back after watching a baseball game, and I wanted to get my computer, you know, restarted and get it Safari back on. Ended up, wouldn't restart. And I thought, ooh. And I look, and I, like, hit the power button, held the power button, shut down, and held the power button again. And I heard a little something starting up, and a light came on, but it never even got to the startup chime. Which is a very bad sign. If this, if you don't, if you don't hear that bong when you start yeah, your, if Mac you don't up, get past the post, it, that's a, a, yeah. a very you could you should bet money that you have a logic board problem. Um, and I thought fuck, and then I thought you know what I know I'm backed up. I know I'm backed up. So there's you know worst case scenario, all I've got to do is just wait and restore from backup. I haven't lost anything. Uh, I'm backed up in a couple ways, but one of the ways I'm backed up, and I know I'm backed up, is through Backblaze, which is online backup that runs in the background. And it's actually the one that gives me the most peace of mind because it's the one that I don't have to do anything about. And I literally, this is what I did, is I didn't try to resuscitate the Mac. It was late at night, and I thought, I'll worry about this in the morning. I just went to a different machine. Could have been my iPhone. Could have been another Mac. Doesn't matter. You just log into Backblaze. I logged into my Backblaze account and just looked. And it said that I was backed up as of like 8 p.m. last night. And I was like, oh, I'm all set. What does Backblaze back up? It backs up everything on your Mac. Everything. If you have external hard drives, it backs those up too. Uh, what's the limit on space? It's unlimited. You just pay $5 a month and everything on your Mac gets backed up. What's the catch? There is no catch. If there's, if there's technically a catch, it's that the $5 a month, which is incredibly low, is per Mac. But that per Mac cost is everything on the Mac, including the external drives. Uh, I, if I didn't have Backblaze, I have no idea. I either would have been up all night trying to restore, resuscitate the drive, opening the case, trying to take the SSD out and put it in a, uh, uh, another case and putting it in, stay up all night, doing stuff like that. Uh, all I did is just log in my Backblaze account. I knew I was backed up. Nothing to worry about. Uh, can't say enough what a great feeling that is. You just here's what you do to sign up. Go to backblaze.com slash daring fireball. Backblaze B L A Z E dot com slash daring fireball. They know you come from the show that way. Uh, you get a 14-day free trial, no credit card up front. Just do that, install their software on your Mac, uh, set up an account, use the 14 days. It might take a while for all of your stuff to get up upstream through the cloud. Uh, do that in the first 14 days. See how it works. Uh, see how it's just, once you have it set up, it just runs. You don't do anything. You don't have to remember once a day to hit the backblaze button and do an upload. It just uploads as it sees that you need to incrementally. Uh, can't say enough. I mean, here I am testimony to it. Broken Mac, nothing lost. Can't, couldn't be easier. So my thanks to, uh, backblaze, go get them. Don't be a dummy who's not backed up. That's great. I mean, just honestly, we had to delay the show because your Mac was all bust up. Yeah. So I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. I The best thing about it, I'm telling you, the best thing about it is you don't have to remember anything to do it. Yeah, I know. I don't trust myself either. Which is a testament to Backblaze. I don't really right. like it. You know, I'm never going to... If I intentionally have to think about backing up, but I'm going to screw it up sometime. And yeah, it's not really backup. I think somebody argued with me once, and I agree with it, that if, if your backup system is something you have to invoke manually, that's not a backup system. It's useful. That's smart. That's smart. Yeah. You know, it's something. Yeah. You've got clones of your data. 
it's worth doing. I use super duper like that to third part, you know, the external drives, right. but it's, uh, it's not really backed up. Backed up is when something hits unexpectedly and then I go and check and I'm backed up from the last moment I remember sitting at my computer. Right. <laughs> that, that's a yeah. backup. Well, I think, you know, I, I think that's what Time Machine tries to address. And I think that that's what Backblaze does in spades, right? Yeah. Yeah. Time Machine's a great solution too. I'd say do them all. Do, you know, yeah. there's, there's no way you could be more backed up. Yeah. You, you yeah. could be too backed up. <laughs> well, you can be, but not in terms of your computer. Yeah. No, Time Machine's one of the best things that Apple did. I still think that they, yeah. they need to... I would love to see Apple do something, improve the means of using Time Machine from a MacBook. Like, I know they've got yeah. the Time Machine base station, but yeah. it's, I, I still feel like that could, be, that could be a better experience. I mean, did you notice that they got rid of the... Uh, maybe I can talk about this. Uh, I'm going to... Anyway, uh, they got rid of the star backfield background? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good call. Way better. Yeah. Now. Yeah. My, my understanding is the star, the star field was literally a joke. <laughs> it was like some, it was, it was, my understanding was, is that it was Mattis basically making a joke and they were like, yeah, yeah was, run with that. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely Mattis. I, I've yeah. heard this. I, yeah. Story. I don't want to peg it to some, yeah. But, but that's hilarious. It's like, here's the goofiest thing I can imagine. Yeah, let's make that a product. <laughs> right. That it's like an interesting way of of starting like, well, what's the most outlandish way? Well, like what's yeah. the most what's the most buttoned up way yeah. that we could do it? Well, you say time it, machine, it, here's Doctor it, Who. Right. Well, it, you could do like both extremes. You could say what's the most straight-laced conservative buttoned up way we could do it and mm -hmm. you say, well, it would look like the Finder except just maybe it's just list view, you know. It would just look just like the Finder but maybe the yeah. window's a different color. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right, what's the most outlandish way we can do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be, yeah, and you're like, it's you're, like the credit scene of Doctor Who, like the opening, like, <laughs> right, you're Doctor Who. And we'll they do it, play in, the music, yeah. we'll do it in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, they were like, let's, let's go ahead and do it. We were talking about Forstall before, and yeah. somebody emailed me. And again, you can't, you know, it's small data samples because it's only been two major releases since Forstall left. Um, but somebody emailed me. Uh, I didn't recognize the name. It's not. It's not like somebody who you know. Was, but it was clearly somebody who had some you know who used to work at Apple. You know, some engineer, and just said, "Hey, the, you know," but doesn't work there anymore. Mm -hmm. And just more or less said, you know, this could be you know the downside of losing Scott Forstall because whatever we want to say about Scott Forstall, Scott Forstall knew how to manage large software projects. Right. I don't know how much I, from the outside. Now, this is somebody who was on the inside who said that. He said, you know, this is this just seems a lot like like Scott was better at knowing that we should we should kill a couple of these features because we're not we're not going to ship on time otherwise. Um, I you know I don't know that's I thought that was an interesting observation. Maybe that's not true. Maybe there's you know people from Apple who are listening to the show right now shaking their heads, thinking, "My God, that Scott was the worst at that." I don't know. I'm just saying that's what one person wrote in. Um, but so far, two for two major iOS releases post forestall, and again, just leaving aside the design style of them, which clearly was in opposition to his, you know, his direction. Um, but in terms of how good were they, you know, when they shipped in September, they're not not so good quality wise. And I think in both cases, it was because of I, I think it's too much to do in a year. I, I I honestly think it's too much to do in a year. Uh... 
To be honest, I've heard nothing bad about working under Scott Forstall. Uh, you know, beyond the, the, the regular Apple rigmarole. Right. Uh, the, you know, it was demanding, of course. I mean, course things demanding. that are obvious. It's like, yeah, right. yeah you're, if you're reporting to Scott Forstall, you're, you know, you're up there and you it's a high pressure job for sure. Right. Um, but in general, I, I, I've, uh, it's unclear to me why the, the break with the company happened. Uh, you know, maybe it was just time to, uh, I don't know, change management, like change it up a little bit. It's unfortunate that since then we've had a couple of OS releases, uh, iOS releases that maybe seem a little bit uh, undercooked. For, for lack of a better word, um, yeah, and I, uh, I know you I attribute it, it to being locked to the hardware, but I, I right. more attribute it to being um, overzealous with adding features, right? Because I mean, well, there's two it, things, it, right? Like you can you can either hit the date or you can do less stuff, and and right. I would err on the side, and certainly in this case, just do less stuff rather than yeah, because you I, can't you can't change the hardware release, so. And I think you have to combine that with the new, and that, you know, again, from a product marketing perspective, I totally understand it. But from this style of, we're going to tell you all about it at WWTC in June. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they're, they feel like they're painted in a corner that what they've promised in June has to ship in September for the most yes. part. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, there's yeah. a that, couple yeah. of things that don't, but that will be coming in October because they, re- they need Yosemite for them. And it's the same. I, I've pointed this out before. It's like I. Yeah. It's like the um, iCloud keychain was last year. Yeah. iCloud keychain was a WWDC unveiled feature. September iOS seven came out, and even though it was in the betas throughout the summer, it wasn't in the final version. And then it was there in October in a point release when right. Mac OS ten Mavericks shipped because it somehow needed all of that. You know, and again, it goes back to the gears needing all the. You need all the gears to be there for this thing to work. Right, uh, and, and as I said at the top of the show, I think the interconnectedness is, and and with the watch too, and you know an imaginary Apple TV, sometime next year. Yeah, this is just so here, it's 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 going to keep getting more complicated, right? Like the right. the interoperability is going to end up being a difficult thing to address in a, a lockstep manner. And you need a lockstep release. Well, you don't need one, but ideally you would have a lockstep release for all of these features. Maybe, and this is me trying to play devil's advocate, maybe be take a more mm-hmm. optimistic view. Maybe, though, iOS 8 was sort of like iOS 7, where iOS 7 was this, we have to do all these visuals at once. We have to redo the visuals and all these animations and everything that you all the pixels that are thrown on screen across the system at once in nine months. And so of course it was going to be rocky. Uh, and maybe iOS eight is the same way in terms of laying the foundation for all of this inter app communication, yeah, the extensions and all of that. Right. Yeah. Well, inter in, I, and I'll go even further inter app and inter device communication. Good point. Yeah. And that maybe, you know, things can slow down in terms of how much happens year over year and that iOS nine in September will by nature bite off less mm-hmm. because it's going to be about making these things work better and more seamlessly rather than starting them from scratch. 
Yeah, I agree. Which, you know, and, and again, I don't want to pretend that Iowa State or the extension or anything are, are bad, misconceived, or poorly done. Uh, there's just more rough edges in the OS than you would expect. And I think that's because of the, um, you know, the, I think they tried to do a lot more in a lot less time than, than they, they could really achieve with certainty. Yeah. And I don't think it's in any way, um, uh, um, a, a re, re, refuting the idea that Apple is internally more collaborative than before, or that that they could solve this, that they're still understaffed or something like that. Um, I think it's it's simply the nature of you know it's it's the mythical man month. You can't exactly. Yeah. You cannot. You really. We, you, you can actually like almost prove it that you cannot ship software, high quality software, faster by throwing people at it. You know, and that I do think I think the nature of the features themselves shows that their the company is more collaborative. But that doesn't mean that you can that it makes it possible to do this. Like if they weren't, if they were as siloed as they used to be, there's these features wouldn't even exist. So do you know who argues against this notion? Uh, smart guy. Uh, his name is John Gruber from back in two thousand and three. <laughs> This is that uh, the, the yeah. This came up last night on Twitter, and you know what? This is a great article. I disagree with a lot of it, uh, as I did at the time, because I don't think we. I don't even know if we knew each other, but you know, I'd read you because you're smart and just disagree with a lot of your arguments. Uh, but this is literally called the good, the bad, and the obvi, which is classic dick move. Um, this was when Avi left. It was right? it was when Avi left, and uh, like yeah, yeah. Soleil Soleil was like the the replacement for the software guy. But you yeah. have a you have a couple of this is when you actually bothered to write like a million words. You you hadn't learned to edit yourself yet. Uh, but an essential aspect of Mac OS X's success is that it didn't merely ship; it shipped with discernible momentum. It got better both in terms of performance and usability steadily and on a regular schedule. First in public beta and then each release from 10 through 2. You go on to say, I feel like a jackass quoting you to yourself, but... That's all right. It's my my 11-year-old self, so it's it's a different person. It's like a whole different person, yeah. This one major update per year schedule is an essential aspect of Mac OS X's success. The general perception is Mac OS X isn't just good, but that it's getting and it's good and getting better. That perception seems to be held not just by the Mac community but the computer industry in general. I think that's an incredibly astute point. The you know the rest of the article I can argue with you about a lot, but but you you specifically call out the yearly schedule. Yeah, well, but I'll say this: I don't think you're in disagreement with me, though. I no, think not. though, yeah. and and that was it was. The first few years of Mac OS X, it was definitely, I mean, it was very annual. I mean, the first release was six months. The 10.1 came out. Yeah, like they six really needed it. 10. Yeah, and if yeah. you talked to people who worked on it, they were like, yeah, we, that had to happen. Also, uh, trivia, first free OS X release. Was it 10.1? 10.1 was free? 10.1 was free. They just ah. gave it away. If you went because to like, like any an Appy dealer, yeah, it was an apology. They would burn you a DVD and just give it to you. 
And that was when, after that, though, they were still selling them for $129 each. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this God, one was think like, about how old... I, I remember being shocked when they started dropping the price of the major OS releases. Yeah, me too. 129 but, bucks compared to Windows seemed reasonable to me. Right. But now it seems like, oh, my God, that would be, that would be awful. Yeah. <laughs> no one would upgrade. No, it's the worst. Um, uh, but I see, the thing is, though, is that I feel like in those 10.1, 10 10.2, 10.3, 10.4, uh, I forget when it slowed down and dropped off the annual cycle, maybe around 10.5. Yeah. But they were, it, was, it wasn't two steps forward, one step back. It was just two steps forward, year after year after year, and there wasn't any kind of but. I mean, there might have been niggling details here and there if we went back and read Syracuse's, you know, refresh yeah, our minds about yeah. what it was. But they were niggles. There wasn't like major fundamental things that were here's here's a big new thing in ten two. It didn't ship like totally not working. It shipped and it worked. And it was like, oh, this is bad. Yeah, more or less. I mean you could complain about spotlight or some weird little yeah, and there stuff might have around been the edges, some, you know, but something that was broken in the you know, the first, you know, the GM version and it yeah. and you know, needed a bug fix. So you know, there yeah, were always yeah. bugs. And but. and Syracuse, yeah, the finder is garbage and Fine. <laughs> it, uh, bottom line, was, but nobody, was, yeah. nobody was arguing though that nobody was arguing in the ten one to ten two to ten three to ten four era that Apple's trying to do too much year over year. Right. I think it was more like what I said in the article that wow, this they're really on fire and they're just improving the OS on a steady basis. Well, you did at the at the start of the article, and I'm trying to find it now because I don't want to misquote you, but you you said something about copious software projects. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The announcement also indicates that the change was more than titular and that Surlay will be taking over responsibility for day-to-day management of the company's copious software projects, which <laughs> at the time did not raise an eyebrow at all. Right. Yes, completely correct. Now that's kind of funny, just thinking about uh, how the scope and the scale has changed. This is a great yeah. piece. Like I, I implore everybody to go read this piece. I it was a different time for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it and was, it was it, I, that piece was also. I specifically remember when I wrote it. It was trying to catch up from the fact that Daring Fireball didn't start until two thousand two, mm-hmm. and a lot of the um, the next the new guys from Next versus old guys from the Mac side friction was mostly played out around 99, 2000, 2001, mm-hmm. before I had Daring Fireball to do it. And it was me. <laughs> so, me so you dredged it up? <laughs> a little. I think a little bit, you know. like I remember know, reading this piece and being like, really? Are we still doing this? Like, Right. And but it's, it's smart, and it, it, I don't disagree with – I understand a lot of the perspective now. So. I still like – to and, and in hindsight, you know, in hindsight, it's you know, it's it all worked out for the better, you know. But I've said this before that I still like to think that the the Apple Next um, combination. I know some people have called it a reverse takeover. Yeah, that's at, more at, of a joke, though. But yeah, it's a, yeah, but at an executive level, it did happen. Yeah, it's, a, it's, in, in terms of Steve and and the people he picked to directly report to him, it was mostly. A, a reverse table. well whatever but it's, Schiller it's, was it's a marriage Schiller, it's a marriage and the next people ended up wearing their pants Schiller was already there though right. and Schiller stayed yeah, and yeah, is there to yeah. this date Johnny Ive was there and Steve you know as had said we kind of you know, picked him the, out of the out of the crop he went in, he went yeah. in 
Steve went into the industrial design group, having looked at Apple's shipping products and drawn an estimation of the quality of their industrial design. He thought, I'm going to have to go in here and fire all of these people. Walked in and met Johnny Ive and saw the stuff that Johnny Ive had wanted to ship and was like, holy shit, this is a gold mine. These guys are geniuses. Yeah. You know, it was like, you know. It was to to be fact- fair to computers at the time, Apple was still shipping some beautiful stuff. Go look at a beige G3 266. Just yeah. before it, it had that little sidebar thing, and and the way that the panel came off with like that that little bond, it was like a like a mm-hmm. green bondy blue almost kind of latch that you could just hit, and the the side panel would fall off, so you could access the interior. I had way a, better case design than anybody making PCs. I had a Power Mac ninety six hundred. Mm. Uh, God, I forget what the chip was in that. Uh, like a 604 that makes a power PC. Yeah, yeah, I think so. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think it was before there were rumors of an upcoming 620 that I don't think they ever shipped and they did went to the G3 instead. I had a 604, yeah. but it was, but it had that same thing though, where you could access the case internals without like tools and stuff like that. You could take it apart. Yeah. You, not needing yeah. a screwdriver. Yeah. I mean, and, that was mind-blowing at the time. That's just, yeah, yeah, and everything was super neatly organized inside. It was like oh, going yeah. into a, like a library. And it's like, here's where you'd put RAM in. Here's where you do. So like, if you wanted to add RAM or change the RAM, you know, take out your, you know, one gigabyte or not gigabyte, gigabyte, probably megabyte. One, one, one megabyte. megabyte. <laughs> your one megabyte Sims. Remember Sims? Yeah. Yeah. And replace them with two gigabytes or whatever. Uh, it was easy, and that the clips were nice. It didn't feel like you were breaking the motherboard I, by snapping them in. Everything was great, especially. I mean, I, I'd come from a history of building my own PCs, which was awful. Well, I mean, I enjoyed it at the time, but you know, needing a screwdriver to get into your case was kind right. of a pain in the ass. And this was the <laughs> the, the exact opposite of that experience. I remember I I had friends at, in the dorm at Drexel who had a built a built from scratch PC and that they they ran it um, literally where they ran it with the with the top open they just left it unscrewed and they'd, they they <laughs> they had positioned a box fan like an actual like the thing you'd put in your window they put a box fan next to it to, to, to keep cool. it down yeah that's awesome I had uh, just to one up you. <laughs> I, I so I built a second PC so that I could play like network games on it, uh, and I didn't buy a case. I literally had a motherboard. The mother <laughs> the motherboard was sitting atop. I swear to God, I'm not making this up. It's it sounds like I'm just going to make this up. It was sitting atop an old issue of MacWorld magazine. <laughs> long long way at rest. There there was like a motherboard with like a VGA card. Like literally, like a VGA card, a networking card, and I think that was it. There was some RAM in there, and it was just <laughs> wired up to a monitor. And you know where it was? In my closet, in my apartment. And my friends would go in there and like sit on a milk crate and and would play Age of Empires one on it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the best three hundred bucks I'd spent, but it, you know. No, it was like C three PO before they put the the metal. Oh, uh, don't even that didn't happen. Don't, don't talk to me about that. <laughs> but uh, anyway, where I was going is that whatever the 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 hiccups were, you know, the friction, the years of friction between two different cultures. To, I like to think of it in hindsight as a reunification. That the the next side that Jobs created clearly had Apple DNA. 
I it, it couldn't agree more. Just, yeah. you know, it, but then they were separated by years, like, you know, again, not to draw t- t- too, too dramatic an analogy, but like East Germany and West Germany. But then when the wall came down, yeah, it was rough for a couple of years because it had been so different on the two sides. But mm-hmm. they're still all Germans. No, so I totally yeah. agree. So I came to this from the next point of view, if not actually having been super invested in, in next. Uh, and I would read you in Syracuse and disagree on some of the technical issues, but you know, over the long run, I think we share the same philosophy in a lot of ways. Right. And we're, because we're, in a philosophy we're, is, I think we're, we're all pretty much of one minded by this point. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Like an insatiable desire for nice things. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and what, what you attribute to being a nice thing, I think has changed over the years. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But ultimately it's the same, like you say, like a DNA, like the, there's a commonality there. Right. Right. And that, you know, once the initial friction was off, but I, you know, in those early years, though, I had very strong opinions on a lot of those issues and almost always aired on the side of the traditional Mac art side of the argument. Yeah, you, know, you, file, were, name, you were file name extensions versus, you know, type and creator codes, stuff like that. Yeah, you got it um, wrong so often back then. No, I was totally <laughs> right. I was completely right. I, I maintain I was totally right. The path, the stupid addressing files by path instead of file ID. Um, it's <laughs> but, ridiculous. I it's don't disagree, ridiculous. but you're – okay. But this is like a 20-year-old argument at this point. Forget it. Right. Care. But, it will, you know – I mean, ultimately, it, if people had done what you wanted them to do, it, it would have been a non-starter. No, I don't think so. I think it would have <laughs> – no, I, we would have gotten to where we are now anyway. It's just where – You what wanted was, to use new, new kernel. <laughs> No, well, I don't know. Did I say that? You literally said, "I'm not claiming." Uh, this is a quote. Oh. I'm looking at the website, right? and this is really unfair. Like, I, I don't have anything from this period that you can call me on for being stupid, and I'm sure it was stupid in a lot of ways. And I don't even think this is stupid. But you literally wrote, "I'm not claiming that New Kernel was perfect or superior to Mock <laughs> in every way. I'm not in any position to make such judgments." That's great, but by all accounts. The idea of using new kernel rather than mock was never even considered by Tavenian, no matter what advantages it held. Which, yeah, because swapping out a kernel under an ONS is, is a pain in the ass. Um, new kernel, remember, was designed from the outset as a kernel to power future PowerPC-based Mac operating systems. Mock wasn't. Um, wait, there's something about power management in here that I really want to find. We're going to have to get Dave to edit this. For one, superior power management, a continuing weak spot in Mac OS X. <laughs> it was. It was. It was. It was. It, it, at the time, you were completely correct. Now it runs on your phone. <laughs> it's very true. So, right. They saw. So again, they solved it in yeah. a different way. It's, and they, you know, yeah. you could say that right. But I don't know that, that, that it was. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying right. that. But it was true. The, the like, flavor you, of the commentary was different, right? Like the right because there was a cultural divide, right? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, the kernel stuff is probably a bit over my head, but um, no, I mean, no, I'm not. I'm I not, think I'm, you know, I'm actually I, not trying to be a jerk here. I'm just, no, but like, another part too, yeah. though, is I, I wasn't, I didn't know enough about how the next system worked, and I was thinking about it more from like the you, open step 
perspective, right. which uh, maybe that was mock too, but I thought that was a little bit more abstract where it ran on Solaris. It was and, mock and it had a lot of weird stuff and yeah, it could, well. But that because like that OpenStep ran on Solaris, I thought that, that well, the Cocoa, that the Cocoa, Cocoa layer ran on Solaris, was, right? Right, yeah. yeah. You know, and I, that's what I thought that more or less was, what I was thinking was that why couldn't they take Coco, uh, and do on new kernel what they did to get it running on Solaris? Maybe that was a terrible idea. Maybe that, you know, that's, that's you, do you know what? Idea. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I, I think new kernel is probably kind of brilliant. Right. Cause they even had, uh, they even had the Coco layer running on windows. I mean, that was, they were actually, yep. and they, they actually thought maybe they'd still ship that at first. They were going to ship the, they were going to call it yellow box from windows. Yeah. They really could have, I mean, yeah, the, the, the open step layer, the Coco layer, as right. we call it today, can ship on a bunch of different OSs. And to be honest, probably will in the future. Uh, right. like they'll eventually going to swap out the underpinnings. Um, right. I, I I shouldn't be passing judgment. Like from a computer science. Well, you literally not- say I'm not in any position to make judgments, right. and you said that back in 2003. So I, I'm really not trying to be a dick about this. I'm just right. it's but just I, it's funny, say, right? Like it's it's right. worth a discussion about. Right, but there was it was I was expressing the frustrations from a lot of people I knew within Apple who right. were there, you know, from the Mac side, who knew that maybe that's just one example, but that there was a lot of Mac stuff that wasn't even considered. Mm-hmm. You know, just because it was, uh, you know, if it wasn't from the next side, it was crap yeah. side of yeah. things. And the only stuff that did survive was stuff that Next didn't even have. You know, like QuickTime famously survived. And not because QuickTime had a great API. QuickTime had a horrible API. I mean, mm-hmm. you talk to anybody who ever programmed QuickTime. And they, it's a nightmare. They, they, get, yeah. they get the shakes when yeah. you bring it up. <laughs> um, but it was the fact that Next didn't have anything. They didn't have a multimedia thing yeah they you know they needed you know quicktime gave them something they didn't even have before you couldn't even play movies on on next machine yeah. they replaced quickdraw with uh, quartz yeah well that was a big win because quickdraw was oh you know, man i mean quartz that, is so much better they they ditched their own thing right. they ditched uh display postscript right right that was just you know that uh, that was one that i don't remember being contentious though that might have been some no it was one of the best moves that they did with with os10 for sure right and that you know the quick draw having been designed to do uh, technically amazing things on 1984 1985 computers was not did not make it relevant going into the future right yeah uh so yeah so quartz the compositing windows server was way ahead of its time yeah and at the time i was frustrated with syracuse's reviews because he'd complain about resizing windows like, why do they resize with live, like, rather than just the the classic Mac OS outline right. thing? And I was like, because that's cool and it's awesome. But he's right. Like, I've come to see the product point of view of it where, you know, resizing at five frames per second is not, <laughs> that's not tenable. It's dumb. Um. I remember at the time I, that was the years that I was working at Barebones Software, mm-hmm. and we'd get we'd get new developer betas of of OS ten and install them on you know really good hardware. You know, yeah. it wasn't like we were installing it on on cheapy stuff. And I remember watching uh, Jim Korea, who's now at at Omni Group with just yeah. like all the yeah. goddamn developers. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> Jim would Jim would just open a window, and first he would grab the corner and resize it really really fast. And his eyes would start to roll. Then he'd just grab the <laughs> then he'd grab the window title bar and just shake it over the screen as fast as he could, and you'd see all of this shearing 
I mean, it was just, there's no way that it could keep up with, you know, a Jim's hand just going side to side. And he would just roll, you know, just sigh and walk away. So it was so bad. You know what? That's funny though. Yeah. It's, what I think is so interesting though is that in between 2000, 2001, Apple, which went for looks beautiful, even if it is painfully slow, mm-hmm. to 2006, Apple making the first version of iOS, which looked beautiful. Um, but never got slow. So was that it was a subtle shift in priorities where I dis- you know, I disagree with that characterization. But sorry, finish. Well, finish here's the example though. Yeah. The example is you load Daring Fireball and Mobile Safari on the original iPhone running iOS 1.0, and you start to scroll. What do you see? You saw that checkerboard. Remember the checkerboard in iOS? Yeah. yeah. So the scrolling always kept up with your finger but they would just dump the content and show a checkerboard if they needed to. So it always felt like it was perfectly responsive with your finger. So, you know, it, but it wasn't showing you the, the content in high fidelity. And in fact, with the checkerboard, it would just drop it completely. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, I thought that was one of the most genius decisions in all of the original iOS 1.0 was that checkerboard. Uh, Of course, you know, clearly the ultimate answer was to just keep up with your finger with the actual content, which is what all iPhones do today. But in terms of what they should do then, the 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 Mac OS X 1.0 solution would have been for the iOS to do really jittery, sheery, you know, shearing scrolling, have scrolling get real slow right. as you scroll a big long web page. And it, yeah. what they came up with in 2007 was delightful. It actually, even though it was disappointing and, and slightly at first that, oh, it can't keep the whole page there. But the fact that it, no matter what you did, what you saw, those checkerboards moving up in the screen kept pace with your finger was, to me, delightful. So I, I agree. I was initially going to disagree. But yeah, the, the, the checker, the instant interaction is always better. Uh, what I liked about Mac OS X at the time when it was released was that it was betting on the future, like yeah. like hard, <laughs> like yeah. harder than it really should have. Because at the time when it shipped the product, I liked because I, I was more of on the nerdy side of the scale. Like I could see what they were doing, um, but it wasn't a great product. Well, and it's harder to bet on the future when you're behind. Right, but they did. Right? They bet hard, and you know Microsoft had to catch up years later with Vista, right. which right. Ended comically late to the game at that point, right? Right. Well, yeah. and at and and at the same time that OS ten was shipping, more or less, roughly two thousand two thousand one. I mean, two thousand one was actually when XP shipped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Microsoft was shipping what would go on to be the single most popular version of Windows that ever shipped. Right, and I think it's quite possible maybe it that ever will ship they might be in some if not a decline like they've hit a permanent plateau yeah and they'll never be as popular no new version of windows will ever be as popular as xp was yeah do you find that xp do you i find that a bit of a bummer i don't know how you feel about that no i think it's i think it's a little depressing because i feel like it'd be better you know best thing that you know clearly the one of the best things that's happened to ios is android getting its design act together Right. You know, yeah. whether, you know. Well, I mean, so wanna... I'm not that much of a, a, you know, the market is God kind of kind of person. I just like to see everybody doing awesome stuff all of the time. Right. And it's not, yeah. not happening, right? So, yeah. Right. It would be better. It's just better in general if other people are doing awesome stuff. Just and it's also. Better all around, just, right? Yeah. 
But yeah. you know, and then from a more objective point of view, it does keep everybody on their toes. Oh and yes, it's, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, you know, just going back to the main thesis of this episode where we're talking about is Apple doing too much per year. Um, maybe it's better if they do a little bit too much per year than do a little too little to eat per year, right? As a general rule of thumb, if they have to err on one side or the other, and because humans are imperfect and because software planning is imperfect and software management is imperfect uh, and software engineering is certainly imperfect, you're never going to get it exactly right. So if you have to take a guess whether you're going to go a little too fast or a little too slow, it might be better to go too fast. And, so, you know, yeah. well, and, so I, I agree with you, but I'm going to have to I'm going to play devil's advocate for the for the sake of conversation. Um, just before the show, you sent me the link that yeah. says that iOS eight adoption has stagnated compared to iOS seven adoption. Um, if that keeps happening, that is that's a bad sign, right? I think this it's uh, I think it's a really bad sign. So yeah. it's um and these are Apple's own numbers. Right. Which is is really interesting. I don't want to say damning, experience. but right. kind of so damning. Apple yeah. Apple has a web page on there. It's the App Store support page for developers and it tells you at like a it's like a once a week snapshot. Uh I think it's once a week. I don't know. The as we record today on October 7th, the data comes from October 5th. Um 2 days ago. And it just tells you of devices that have come to the App Store in the last, I don't know, is it a week or something like that? Here's what OS they were running. And as of, you know, 20 days after the release of iOS 8, it's about a 50-50 split. iOS 7 is at 47%, iOS 8 is at 47%, and earlier versions, the remaining 6%. The reason that's bad, that's a, that's really... I mean, to be fair, that's better than most other people in the industry. Yeah, but yeah, it's really but go. a year yeah. ago iOS 7 20 days after it came out was at 70%. Right. Which is not it's not like that's well within uh, you know outside like uh uh statistical variation. You know, that's a big difference. That's what is that 24%. Mhm. Uh and you know, there might be it almost certainly it's multifaceted the reasons why, but I don't think it's outlandish at all. I think it's almost certain that part of it is that people out there feel like they've either had bad experiences in the past when they've okayed the, okay, a software update is available. Do you want to install it? Um, and now they're more likely to hit cancel than they were otherwise. Uh, or it's just what they're hearing from people about iOS eight that, yeah. Oh, don't do it. You know, wait. Um, I've, I've, as I said, I, I, told Adrian not to update, uh, and she'd already heard it from people at work. Uh, that's, that's a bad sign like that. You can't do that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like Ben, ben Thompson the, and I, yeah. on last week's episode of this show with Ben Thompson, I, I just said offhand, I said, you know, that's the long term. If they keep having OS releases like that, it seems inevitable that that it's going to slow the pace of adoption, mm -hmm. which is not in Apple's interest, and it's not in the interest of third-party developers. Like it's been a very virtuous circle for Apple because their newest features are in front of more people, and it you know if it works well, it makes people feel like, hey, my my year-old iPhone is even better than it was a year ago because I've got these cool new features, and it's good for developers because when new new developer technologies come out. They can adopt them quicker than 
you know, right away, you know, like the new auto layout stuff and adaptive uh, size stuff for yeah. new screens. You can do that even though it's iOS 8 only because Apple promises that, you know, a majority of customers are going to be running iOS 8 very soon. Well, I think like <laughs> it's almost absurd that you can um, – like a great lens to look at Apple is to look at the, the order of priorities, right, which is at this point pretty basic. It's Apple, their customers, and then third-party developers. Right. Uh, I think that, you know, shipping buggy OS updates initially hurts their own customers. And that's probably yeah. what they care about the most, right? Yep. Yeah. And then their customers won't update, and that's going to trickle down into third party developers. Right. And then that's the, you know, given the, the cycle of life, like the feedback loop, uh, if third party developers can't count on customers having the, up, the OS updated, they can't adopt the good the, the good stuff that Apple has released and wants people to to do. Uh, it's it's a horrible cycle. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, as as a developer, that sucks. That you know maybe I can't count on these new things, but I think I I think Apple should probably serve their customers first. Like the, I understand the priority system. I think they've failed their own customers in in a certain way to to, yeah. to some small degree, you know. Yeah, it might be you know that you can't o overestimate, underestimate. I don't know whichever. <laughs> Who cares? How, Whatever how, way it works. <laughs> how much damage you can do to the trust between the typical user, which of which there are now hundreds of millions of them. Exactly. So they're not technical people at all. They're just people who want to have an iPhone that works or an iPad. Um, and the trust that they have in Apple when that dialog box comes up and says a new version of iOS 8 is available for your device, click, you know, tap here to install. Because mm -hmm. um, I think once you've said no once, why would you not say no again the second right. time? Like what, the, you have to, you've been trained that everything's great and then something bit you. Yeah, there's a little boy who cried wolf angle to it, and it's sure. slightly yeah. a bad metaphor because that the the kid in that allegory is a liar, and Apple's not doing this on purpose. They're not lying. No, 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 no. Clearly, no, everybody no. with an Apple wishes that all these features worked as perfectly. Also, I hate but, that story because it's dumb. Just show up every time the kid calls wolf. Like, just do it. Like, why? Just appoint a new kid. <laughs> right. Just get the kid off exactly. the hill. There's, yeah. There's better solutions to this problem. Yeah, you know what? You're gonna work. You're gonna work inside from now on. <laughs> Anyway, sorry I cut you off. But yeah. but the 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 townspeople's reaction though right. is human nature. You know, where if you feel like you've been burned a couple times and you feel like, hey, I you know, my iPad got kind of slow when I installed iOS seven, uh, it is going to make you less likely to do it. And I know that 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 whole aspect gets you know the, the jackass way to overstate it is that whole thing that came up last year where that it was planned obsolescence, and that, oh, that infuriated me. Well, and here's and I think now we're seeing why it's so infuriating, right? So last year there were there was there were people like in the New York Times, I forget who, but, but a couple people chirping in that, "Hey, I upgraded my old iPhone. It's a year old or it's 2 years old, and now it's slower. Apple did that on purpose because they want me to buy a new iPhone." And I thought that was so stupid because it <laughs> has so little respect for people. Like if Apple had done that on purpose, isn't it a natural response for somebody who says, "Hey, 
I had I paid a lot of money for my iPhone. I did what Apple told me to do, and it got slower. Maybe I should try a Samsung phone or something. Like yeah, that's, I mean that's, that's a little bit cult of the markety kind of thing for me personally. Yeah, but, but I, I see your point. I do. I I understand where you're coming that's, from. That's that's yeah. a perfectly rational reaction to it. Yeah, I, sure. I you know that's what I if, would think. If it, it had been the case, yes. But uh, yeah. Take the politics out of the fact that Android versus iOS is sort of a political thing where we've we've got we've got tribes, you know, that you and I are part of this, you know, Mac indie Mac iOS culture. Yeah, I like to pretend then, that I'm not, but yes. Right, but, but fair enough. Know, yeah. Take it to something yeah. where there's there's less reli- you know, religious style fervor. And right. we, we try I, I do hope that I do too, that I kinda try to stay above that and keep my mind open as best I can. But there's yeah, but no let's doubt be that, honest it you know. And it's there in the people who listen to our show and stuff like that. But right. just I'm just saying though that like if you buy let's take two brands that are really close and intertwined in their histories and in their reputations, Honda and Toyota, right? Mm-hmm. That they're both Japanese and they both have this reputation for quality and for durability that you know you can buy a Honda or a Toyota and it's a very good likelihood it's gonna last for over a hundred thousand miles. Uh and that's you know, you bought Toyotas, two two or three cars in a row, and then you buy a Toyota and you get a bad one, and it's you know has transmission problems. Two years in, doesn't that make you more likely to think, hey, maybe I should try a Honda next time, right? It doesn't right. make you think. I bet Toyota did this on purpose because they want me to buy another car, right? That's right. just it's counter to the brand. And the Apple brand is we make good stuff, and it lasts at least in the terms of technology world lasts long. Um, and anything that anything that goes against that is off the brand and off the message and off the relationship that they want to have with their customers. Um, so I really think that that whole idea that they, that it's planned obsolescence that new versions of iOS run poorly on or less even less than ideally on older devices. It's not just wrong because I know from the people I know at Apple. The people I know at Apple would quit if they were told, "Hey, make this run slow on an iPhone 4." <laughs> yeah, this is really that, this really. No, I mean that sincerely. I, I had a conversation yeah. with a friend at WWDC who rolled his eyes about it and said, "Literally, I would quit if if my boss came into me and told me to do something like that. I would just immediate. I would just say okay, and then I would just pack up my stuff. He goes, I could get a job somewhere else. I'm not gonna, you know, why would I do something like that? That's you, you know, evil's the wrong word. That's not what he said, but." I would have no respect for myself if I did that. That's not how they do that's, it. No, that's. But it, it, it's honestly, Apple. Apple, if anything, Apple is facing a crisis of talent retention. Yeah, if and anything. that's the sort of thing. And that believe would make me, it worse. if you start being like, "Well, you know yeah. what? Cripple a phone in a year." Right. It's like, well, fuck you. I'll go. Well, that, just, do you know how much yeah, money the- they can get elsewhere? Like, it's fine. Like, the, these people can get a job wherever they want. Right. Like the people I know at Apple are the opposite, where they would take pride in the fact that, you know, I worked on, you know, I don't know, I worked on, you know, this UI list view scrolling. Yeah. And it's still buttery smooth on an iPhone 4S. I totally agree with you. Right. And that's like, that's a feather in my cap that it's, you know, that one wrote it. 100%. Nobody is trying to make anything slow. Right. Um, And I think that this thing, to go back to this, you know, that the upgrade pace is apparently significantly off year over year is to me, a, like I said, a canary in a coal mine that those sort of, Hey, if you keep doing this, it's going to affect it, that it's come to fruition that we've got a dead canary here. I feel like it's a sprinter that is hit a stride. That's like a little bit off and it's almost stumbling at this point. Right. And instead of saying like, Hey, this could happen, 
you know, it's actually happening and we're seeing, you know, here the last lap around the track was slower. Right. right. Exactly. It's not just yeah. it's not just you and I, the commentators in the booth speculating that maybe he's slower, the runner is slower, that it's hey, you know you can clock it. Yeah. Yeah, the pace is off. Very, very worrisome to me. I, I uh, yeah. haven't linked it up on Daring Fire. I probably will before the show hits, but I think it's and there's a couple somebody else has data that backs it up too. Mix panel. I don't know who they are. But the stuff from Apple I trust. Yeah, I mean it's their own numbers, right? So yeah. kind of, I I'd imagine you can hold them to their own numbers. I I don't know why you wouldn't yeah. want to. Um, I think I think that they'll. They, they, it's not like, and I don't think it's too late. I don't think they can not turn. You know, but I feel no, like no, they've. No. Re- yeah. no. I think though that they've got to shift priorities subtly, in favor of higher quality, even at the expense of doing less in the same amount of time. Hmm. Well, I mean, is it too late for the next cycle? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Mark Gurman reported that uh, at 9to5Mac yeah. that uh, that they've got 8.1, 8.2, and 8.3 in testing, which is different than all most previous years. They've only done a 0.1. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, you know, who knows if that's the case or not. I'm, it was unclear from his report how much of that was just coming from user agent strings that that they saw at 9to5Mac in Google Analytics, which are easily fake. Yeah, um, I'm hesitant to... But he also suggested, though, that he'd spoken to people who, who backed that up. 8.2, I he's kind got, of he's, believe. He's great. He's got good sourcing a lot of the time. Uh, I'm hesitant to, you know, to ascribe anything to version numbers. Or, like, you know, the, yeah. the, 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 the 6 Plus is, I believe, iPhone six uh, seven comma 2. Yeah, the six is seven comma one. Yeah, it does not matter. Those things no. don't get assigned until way later in the process. Um, no, and the code names were weird too. Uh, the plus was N fifty six. you've heard that. Six. Okay. Yeah. The six was N sixty one. I hadn't heard but those, so, but they're arbitrary. I think we've both yeah. been told that they're. Yeah, Those and they things get, don't make any sense. They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like for example, yeah, like for example, the fact that the six is N sixty one and the plus is N fifty six doesn't mean that the six came after. There's no, rhyme and it doesn't it, mean that there were four iterations between it. I, it there's it no is, rhyme or reason to any right. of this stuff. It is just, apparently just a you know, there's an open slot at N fifty six. Here, take it. You call it your device, the N fifty six. Right. But people inside Apple get really used to calling it by those divide those names, like they. Well, yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you? That's the right. Yeah. But but there's it's but just there's arbitrary. No, there's no rhyme right. or reason. Yeah. Right. Right, and the easiest thing to f- fake or fudge or whatever in the world is the user agent string of a browser. I know Don has lots <laughs> of stories about that. Uh, all right, let me take a third break here, but then we'll wrap up the show. But I want to thank our. Uh, third and final sponsor of this episode. Uh, right back, week after week from last week, it's uh, UBAR. It's a Mac utility. It's a dock replacement for the Mac. And it can be configured in a bunch of ways. Um, you can configure it as a replacement for the Mac OS dock that's sort of the same style. Uh, or if you're a Windows convert to the Mac or just a Mac user who likes the Windows-style taskbar, um, UBAR has a, a configuration options that you can set it up to be a lot more taskbar-like than dock-like. Uh, so if you refer, prefer a dock, you can configure it that way. 
if it's a taskbar, you can do it that way. Um, but no matter how you configure it, it looks great. It's pure OS 10. It's, it's just a Mac utility. It's all written really native. Um, the developer, I still, I mentioned this last week, but it's so fascinating to me. His hobby is one of his hobbies is, is mechanical watchmaking. Uh, and it really shows like, and really, really nice handmade mechanical watches with, you know, just everything you'd think, you know, really fine attention to the typography on the dials and the shape and exact length of the hands and everything like that. U-Bar looks like software from someone who makes precision watches. It really does to me. Um, but it's got a bunch of added features, nerdy features, stuff, sort of stuff that if you listen to the talk show, you might be interested in. So it sort of also adds the features of activity monitor right into your taskbar, your dock. So if you hold the control key uh, on your keyboard while you scrub across apps in the dock, it, it replaces the CPU name uh, or the app name with the uh, CPU and RAM usage for each process running in your dock. Uh, you can spot unresponsive apps immediately. An app that's you know doing the spinning uh, pizza of death uh, gets a flag right in the right in the dock right away. Tons of customiz customization, light and dark themes just like in Yosemite. Uh, you can add favorites for quick access or have it just show the apps that are running. Uh, and the developer he's he's working like mad. He's really just focused on this. Um, Ubar 2.0 launched in July, and there's already been 30 updates. Uh, and they sponsored the show last episode, and he emailed me and said, the response from listeners has been phenomenal. A bunch of listener suggestions have already been implemented in Ubar through updates just since last week. Uh, and he's been blown away by how smart and enthusiastic. And uh, I'll just add how good-looking uh, the, the audience that listens to this show is. Um, He's already had, he had the Apple store business specialists emailed him because customers started asking about Ubar after he was on the show last week. <laughs> That's great. And a, a Japanese user spent, sent him an email saying that a typhoon was on its way to Japan, which gave him free time because he didn't have to go to work. And so he sent over a full Japanese translation uh, of the, the user interface. So Ubar <laughs> is now, just since the last episode of the talk show, it is now localized in Japanese due to a typhoon. So I hopefully everybody's okay from the typhoon. I don't want to say the typhoon <laughs> right. was good news. Really, really, really interesting software. I had not heard of this utility before, and it's really, really interesting. I, it's certainly not for everybody. That's the whole point of things like dock replacements and and you know launch bar and Alfred and and apps like that. Um, that that sort of thing is not for everybody, right? Alfred and launch bar are not supposed to replace Spotlight for everybody. Spotlight's the interface that's like. That's for like hundreds of millions of people. Things like Ubar is, you know, for geeks who want to customize stuff. Really, really interesting. Normally, the app is twenty bucks, which is a steal for software like this. But here's the password or the code, uh, the coupon code: Gruber Edition, all one word. It's like the the watch, Gruber Edition, um, and you get fifty percent off, meaning it's just ten bucks. Fifty percent off. 10 bucks for an amazing app from a developer who's clearly very, very responsive to requests. So I wouldn't be surprised if you looked at it and thought, oh, if it just did one more thing, maybe I would send this suggestion in. Here's where you go to find out more. Ubar, U-B-A-R, app.com. Ubar, app.com. And the coupon code, all one word, Gruber Edition. Nice, like gold. 
I, pure I pure it, gold Gruber. <laughs> it has been. It's been like eight days since the episode came out. But I thought, my God, that's a lot to happen in a week. Yeah, that, that he seems awesome. That's great. Uh, and you know, it's it's not even like a Sherlocking because he's, you know, no, like these kind of things reverse. have been. Yeah, it's reverse Sherlocking. Like this is right. this is destined and intended for aces. Like if if you are you a Mac ace, go get this. Right. Yeah, it's like you know, BB Edit is was not Sherlocked when they included text, text edit, edit no. in the system. You know? No, right. Yeah. It's like if you need it, you you know you need it. Whereas right. Apple is focusing on the, um, you know, all across the board. Like that's the way you survive when Apple has a built-in app that does the thing that you do. Yeah, right? yeah. Busy it's, Cal, Busy Cal gets by by doing more and better than the built-in calendar app. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you <laughs> you ship a notes app, right? And you're moving to the Mac. So, you know. Right. You've got to just have to look at it and say we can do better. Right. And you have to look at it and say Apple is always going to do something that's sort of very, very basic for the built-in thing. Yeah. No, I I totally agree. Um, Where were we? Uh, You tell me. I don't know. I think we were talking about – we were wrapping up, I think, the discussion on, on the annual cycle. Is that fair? Is that right? Yeah. Um like where 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 do we think that they should go from here? And all right, and how about this? Do how less big- and and you know what? Honestly, uh I think that at this point the um I think one of the problems is that they've committed themselves to doing a major revision every year. And that is and as much as I love marketing at Apple, like done done correctly. Um, I I don't think that you can commit yourself to doing as many new features per year as they have been committing themselves to do, and integrating into across all of the product lines from the Mac to iOS to the Watch and eventually to to the Apple TV stuff. Which maybe that's a minor point, but. It, it'll, you know, it'll eventually be a thing. Um, I, I don't know what to do. I mean, maybe just get away from numbers at that point, right? Like, does it need to be iOS nine next year, or can it just be like, here's our latest iOS? Yeah, I, I don't know though. I don't no, know either. I, I really don't know. But yeah, but like, what's I, happening I, I, is untenable. I I feel. I see the sense of that, of getting rid of version numbers. But on the other hand, I, and it's like, I really don't know what version numbers mean to people. Like, what does what does my dad think when his iPad says that iOS 8.0 is available? Right. Like, yeah. uh, how much of that is gibberish and how much of it does he get the basic idea that they're just, you know, it's a new number? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, he's never, you know. I, but but I, I, I want, often, but I, I do want, so that's a, that's a great point, but I do wonder if that internally and because they're so involved in the industry and the, the that particular way of looking at things, that they say a new version number meaning major new features. Maybe yeah. you don't need that, you know, like maybe. You know, that I, and I know this is off-beaten path mm-hmm. or, or what's the phrase i don't know the, yeah whatever a horse that's been beaten a lot somebody's been beaten a beating lot. it a horse yeah um, a horse but to compare, has been beaten a lot. 
but to compare the version yeah. to compare software version numbers to um the automobile industry and nobody's confused when they say the new 2015 Honda Accord right um but the 2016 Honda Accord may not be it's only every 4 three, four, five years that they actually do like a, wow, it's all together new. It's a new right. drivetrain. It's a new, you know, a new body shape, you know, and in between, you know, the years they're incremental. Right. Um, but they don't label them differently. And they might advertise it more when there's a major new change, right? When they truly ch upgrade the body and it make it look a lot more modern and it's bigger and it has a major new technology in the engine. They might spend more on the ad campaign that year than they did the year before when it was an incremental version of the one before, but they still just give it a new year and they just say it's the 2016 Honda Accord. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, and that seems to work pretty well for them. I don't know. And I always thought that that was sort of what Microsoft was going for when they went from Windows 3.0 to 3.1 to Windows 95 was right. let's, not, let's not bother people with um, and then, you know, Windows 98, and then they, you know, I guess there was a Windows 2000, but then they were, ran in a different direction with XP because it was, I, I think maybe because they were, I think that was a good idea, but, uh, you know, they would announce something and then ship a year later. And I think that bit them and they, they got cold feet. Yeah. That they were having, they were, yeah. And, and it, it, they weren't doing it annually. And so you were still running office 98 in the year 2001 and it felt right. old whereas if it had just been a version number you might not think that whereas it really yeah. seemed like and i don't know maybe there was something even that made it worse about crossing the millennium and still running you know maybe not, but i mean iWorks 11 yeah that was kind of awful like i think apple kind of stepped in that exact same right so apple had yeah. stepped in the same thing yeah iWork 11 was was up to date up until uh, and it's funny because some people still like it better yeah. So that's awkward. They, they they had a bit of a Microsoft moment in a microcosm right there. Right. And it's just the case that, you know, even the companies that are functioning well, it's just so – takes so long to ship big software projects. Right. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if getting rid of version numbers would be the problem. I don't know if just doing less in each one and letting, you know, like as other – a couple people have called it, having a Snow Leopard moment. And, yeah. you know, like Apple said with Snow Leopard, which no was... No new like, features. Right. Um, no what new a features. Great, what a great ballsy move to... Uh, I can't think of any other company in the industry ever, literally ever, that has <laughs> had a big event saying, we have nothing new. Right. We're just going to... Sp we've, we're just going to spend this next, you know, couple of months and, you know... Yeah, we've spent the last few months, and we're going to keep spending the next few months, you know, cleaning up the foundation. Yeah, which, if we're honest, was uh, effectively a, a misdirection because they had GCD, they had a bunch of API changes under the hood. Yeah, they had done a lot of work, Just but it was for stuff the that user was, features, right? Yeah, it was yeah. really hard to market, right? GCD, yeah, yeah GC. That was when GCD. Uh, so GCD is a perfect yeah. example where it yeah, I think was, that's when they killed garbage collection too in favor of Arc. Yeah, I think. Uh, so, yeah, and I think Syracuse pointed out perfectly in his review that, you know, no new features does not mean he, he had nothing to write about. If right. anything, yeah. he had as much to write about as ever before because right. he cares deeply about that sort of stuff. But from, like, what do you tell normal people who are just coming in for a new MacBook? Well, what's new in Snow Leopard? 
it's well we've cleaned it up under hood and it runs more efficiently it's yeah there's not the answer is it's better right like better right. <laughs> nah, i've seen it in conversation but it's you know it was a fact that though that a lot of engineering resources had been committed to and devoted right. to things like gcd and arc and stuff like that that wasn't right. user facing and you know again it's it's in a sense sometimes or not even sometimes, almost always the best marketing is to be completely honest, you know? And even if it sounds like a funny thing for a tech company to say, no new features, uh, I don't know, it went over well with everybody I know. And I think in hindsight, it was a great release. I agree, but I do, you know, kind of everybody you know and everybody I know is right. that, you know, that's a bit of a small window, right? Yeah, but, you know... It is tech, th- tech wise, right? Like, right, but yeah. think about the people you know. Um, you know, like like with Adri, like with you recommending yeah. that she not update. Wouldn't you like to be able to tell her next year with iOS nine? Yeah, just go ahead and update. It's just going to make your phone run faster. Like uh, if you really, if you really believe that that was the case, don't you think that would go over well with her? I mean, I think oh yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Like like know. restoring a little bit of faith and stuff. I mean, I already told her like eight oh two, whatever eight. Yeah, eight oh two. Do it. Go for it. It's going to be good. Uh, I think there's still like a little bit of trepidation, but yeah, like next year, I just want to, yeah, go go do it. It's fine. I get crap from Amy. I do. Like, um, I think like a lot of people, like she had iTunes match turned on and she updated, she got a new phone and she updated, or she had to update because she got a new phone Mm -hmm. and it said all of her music was there. And then she went to the gym and there was like no music on her phone. And I was like, that's welcome to iTunes match. Um, and she blamed me because she just, you know, and she knows that I don't work at Apple. And I certainly, you know, I, I had nothing to do with iTunes match. But she blames me at, that the cloud is just unreliable. And I said, I'll tell you, I think that what I did is I turned off iTunes match. And I have all the music I want. It's on my computer. And I just sync to iTunes the old-fashioned way. So I said, here, give me your phone. Turned off iTunes match, plugged it into her Mac, and did a sync and said, put all of her music on it. And now all of her music is there and she's never going to complain again. But I would love to have been able to say to her, yeah, just upgrade to iOS eight and it fixes all the iTunes match issues. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I haven't actually ever used iTunes match, but, but there's like, a lot and, of little things with the cloud stuff that works like that. Well, that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I used to really worry about backing up my iTunes library because I bought that and if my hard drive died, I'd be screwed. Uh, that's mostly no longer the case, right? Yeah. Like, man. Yeah. I, that's I, it. I, I don't care anymore. I, I buy a new device and I've got all of it. it. At least it lists everything that I've ever bought and I can watch. I don't know, you know, I can buy my new phone and I can watch uh, Casino Royale on it because I bought it years ago. Uh so I don't, I don't really care about that kind of stuff that much anymore. Well, I think music, not to go on a total iTunes tangent, but I think music is very different from movies because with movies, if you're, you know, you're, you don't necessarily, there's no real good reason to have all of your movies with you all the time on your local device. Really, no, just, never, no. The only time if, I worry about it is if like, I'm going to go on a flight yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. And even then, you're probably only going to load a handful of them. And you can stand to just sit there and wait. Whereas if yeah. you're, you know, want to listen to music for the next ninety minutes and you don't have any of it on your device, right? It, you know, it's a pain in the ass if you have to sit there and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. 
I don't yeah, know, music's yeah. a little different. Yeah, that's what I'm like. And for the most part, the stuff does still just work, where you get a new device and sign in. And even if you don't restore from a backup, and you just sign into your iCloud account, and you say, what was that book, that iBook I bought? And I wanted to look it back up. There it is, and you hit the cloud button, and it just comes down. But it doesn't always work. Sometimes it just, you know, the download gets stuck. So what's your take on this yearly update thing? Uh, you know, John Gruber in 2003 <laughs> seemed to think it was a great idea. Uh, I think that... What, like, what would be your... Like, how would you frame this discussion now? You know, if you had to rewrite this piece, well, not the whole piece, but... I the, wouldn't. I think yeah. that they I think that they should go... They, they're, I think the annual pace is probably fine and actually probably helps keep them in check. But I think that they should consider doing less per year and yeah. polishing more. Uh, and if they can figure out a way to let some ideas um, operate, you know, well, if you get it done, then you're in, but if you don't, but then maybe not advertising them at W, maybe promising less at WWDC and maybe slating some of those things for a, a 9.2 update in March of 2016. That you does know. make it hard for developers and it makes it hard for customers. Well, more importantly, from Apple's right. perspective, customers, right. right? Like you need to – I think the reason that they stick to hard version numbers is that that is the gate for functionality. Right. And it is – and so many other things are annual at Apple. The phones come out on an annual basis. And for right. competitive reasons, they really do need to because their competitors come out with a new – Apple only come out with one set of new phones every year is slow compared to everybody else in the industry. Oh, yeah. It's – and it I takes don't want to say them. glacial, but it's – It's deliberative. Deliberate. Thank in you. an industry yeah. where there's not much deliberation where it's sort of <laughs> – as soon you know, yeah. if you can yeah. ship it, let's ship it and see if people will buy it. Yeah. Um, but Apple is very deliberative, and they have to be, but then they run into things where if they're going to sell 100 million of the same thing a year, they need to be able to have 100 million of every single component. You know, They need to have 100 million A8 systems on a chip and 100 million of the new you know, HD retina displays in two different sizes, et cetera, et cetera, every single thing in the box. Um, but the hardware runs on doesn't run on a yearly cycle, though. That's the thing. They come out right. with one every year. But they're in the works for longer than a year, a yeah. lot longer than a year, which is why it's taken them a little bit too longer than the market would dictate to come out with bigger phones. Because it's, you know, if it takes two years to make a new iPhone, they didn't get to commit to these phones until about two years ago. Like the iPhone 7 or whatever you want to call it. Uh, two years phones. maybe a bit of a big window. But yeah, but it's more than a year. Oh, yes. Right? Yeah, it's, yeah. So maybe it's not quite two years. Maybe it's more like a year and a half or something. Yeah. But, yeah. but the team that's doing next year's iPhones is already, you know, long. You know, they've been at work for, you know, six, seven, eight months. The specs yeah. are already out yeah. there. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure you know, but just for listeners out there, it's kind of funny when you talk to people who work at Apple because they have no idea what happened in what release. No, they literally, no. they're like, oh, was that in that one? I don't know. I, like, <laughs> it it I blurs together more for them uh, than yeah, for us. It's like I was done with that six months, a year before yeah. ever, you ever saw it. So, Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that they don't, they don't even know what it's going to be called. They have or, no idea. They honestly no. don't. Yeah. No, and so that really is what confuses it for them historically, is that while they were working on stuff, they don't know what it was going to be called. And so... 
in hindsight, when you look back like two, three years, they don't, they, they just know it was. They literally like, can't remember what product something shipped in. They have right. no idea. Like none. <laughs> right. You have to remind them. And they're like, oh, really? Well, that, that was, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, no, I don't think the annual schedule is off, but I think that they need to pace themselves better. I don't know. And But again, like I said, maybe the optimistic take is that iOS 8, because it introduced all this... Um, you think this it, was an aggressive release followed, uh, the, preceded by another aggressive release? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it'll be interesting to see how Yosemite comes out. I, I've been running the GM. Yeah, um, same here. I think it's pretty good, but I don't know. I like I, it. I have some weird aesthetic choices about it but yeah whatever. but in terms of like quality i don't think it's going to be a problem like ios 8 no famous last words yeah exactly yeah. famous last words i guess but i don't think so i think because i think the 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 changes are mostly skin deep yeah and and while i have some issues with it i don't think you're going to be writing at the most blur pieces right no no like no. it's it's weird, but I don't think you need to you know take the knives out of that one. No, and I think it also passes the every time I go back to Mavericks now, I think it looks really outdated. Yeah, That's, yeah. And the hilarious thing is that it brings me back to Windows Vista, which did the blur thing right years ago. And whoever did that, if you're listening, and you find me, I will buy you lots of beers because. Who That's, did the Vista one? Yeah, the Vista Blur. That sucks for that guy. We all laughed at him. <laughs> and now iOS and macOS are just totally like, yeah, let's blur everything. All of, <laughs> all of the time. Everything is blurry. And that guy is just, he's at the, if he's not at the bottom of a glass, he should be. <laughs> there is. I don't want to go too deep. We've already been two hours. We should wrap it up. And I yeah. want to wait till Yosemite actually ships before really getting into yeah, it on the show. Yeah. But there is some weird stuff, though, where the way that Apple's doing it is... doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> right. And I know you're going to agree with me. The main thing is that yeah. you have a translucent sidebar. The whole sidebar is translucent in whatever app. Yeah. It reflects the color of your desktop, regardless of how many windows are in between the front window and the desktop. It, it it's completely random. I don't know. I want to talk to who did this. So, I, like, let's just say you have an orange desktop. I've got a machine here right now with with the 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 carpet from the shiny. But it only um, does it when the window is the frontmost window. Right. Otherwise, <laughs> it's completely opaque. Right. <laughs> anyway, yeah. It, it describe. Is, it. I, yeah. people, I well, people. I'm people are going to hear my description. And then they're going to file it away, and they're going to think, hey, I can't quite be like that. But then everybody's going to upgrade to Yosemite in a couple of weeks, a week or two. And then they're going to go, oh, my God, Gruber was right. But it's like – so if you just just imagine, you have one window open. That's it. And that's how Apple – all their screenshots show, just one window at a time. This translucent part shows the colors uh, – blurred shows the colors of your underlying desktop picture through. So if you have like an orange desktop pattern, it's orange blurry. But then if you have windows in between the front window and the desktop, <laughs> and they're all white, like let's just say they're all text edit windows, but they're all stacked on top of each other, the sidebar is still orange. It's somehow... <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Right. 
I can imagine the discussion that led to this, where I can imagine a discussion where the idea was started, well, we'll make it, you know, we'll make it see-through, we'll make it translucent. And it was all based on just like one window on the desktop. And then somebody was like, but what if you have windows in between in the background? <laughs> I love that that's the objection. Right? But what if there was more than one window? I mean, right. And instead of saying, well, then... That's pretty much where you should start, right? Right. They would just yeah. be like, well, then it would be, it'll just be gray. And, instead, and then somebody was like, well, then that'll be dull. And and it will lose that. What's that phrase they keep using? That it shows the character of your desktop, you know, in front of your window. Right. And then yeah. somebody somebody said, "Well, it'll still show your desktop colors right through." <laughs> and it's, then they that's what they made happen. I, I I don't understand. There's no logic to it. Right. No. Maybe no and maybe that's a you know. Maybe that's annoying to, to people like you and I, but right because you know. I want to see I want it to work like somehow like well I need uh, to understand it visually and spatially right and yeah I just, want there to be rules I want it to be like a game but that there's right. rules and if this is see through then it should show whatever's behind it I totally Not, agree with you the rules are completely fucking arbitrary at this point <laughs> like, right. like now I'm looking at the programming like I. I Restrictions have been placed on this that, uh, you know, I can't wrap my head around. I can guess why the choices were made, but aesthetically, I, I can't explain it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I also, f I do feel too, I feel like I'll predict that the other backlash is going to be that um, Helvetica as a system font really is pretty choppy on non-retina displays. And yeah. that it's this is the what you're seeing in Yosemite. I guess there's no name for it really. There's not like a name for the theme anymore. It's not like called anything. But the Yosemite, you know, look and feel the Chrome is it's forward thinking to when all Macs are going to have Retina quality displays, which I think and, is reasonable. I mean, and, and I think you're trying to avoid like Aqua Noe or something, right? Like, yeah, it's a it's it's it, a different thing. Yeah, I think it's the right time. And it's again, it just, you know, it's like you said with the whole compositing system in Mac OS 10, 10.0, right? You got to take your down. lumps, right? You got to take right. your lumps. Take yeah. your lumps, but then when the hardware catches up, we'll already be ready. Right. And, you know, I feel like the, I feel like the whole Yosemite look and feel is so clearly optimized for Retina and then made secondhand to look as good as possible on non Retina, as opposed to the other way around, where up until now the Mac interface has been non-retina first and then it just looks kind of weird on retina not that it looks low res but that it just just are odd decisions. isn't quite suitable yeah right no i totally agree right and this is like, i honestly i am sitting in front of a mac pro more or less the most expensive computer you could buy from apple and i don't have the retina screen right and i'm kind of bummed out by the, the you know yosemite look yeah. One day, hopefully soon, I'll, I'll be able to upgrade. But no, I totally agree with you that the, I think it's fine. I think every now and then there's going to be a jump and something is going to be degraded. Yeah. And, you know, to bring it back to, uh, to the fireball piece that, that we talked about previously uh, and Techno 2034, every now and then you take it, you take your lumps, you take a step back and, it lets you sort of move into the future a little bit more. And I, I think Yosemite is one of those kind of releases. Yeah, I, I agree. 
Yeah, I'll have the link. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll link up that. Article. You really should. Guys, you know what? It's a great article, and I disagree with like ninety percent of this. <laughs> well, because I mean, it's, it's easy to say now, and I did it. I did at the time, but I can't prove it. But like a lot of this is like provably wrong, right? Or at least history didn't bear you out. But this is. I, I kept reading you, and this is one of the reasons why I'm like this is this is a very smart piece. Very well considered. I disagree with the conclusions. A lot of it, though, is our stuff that could never really be settled. Yeah, I know. I agree with that, too. File name extensions. File name extensions is perfect. And the the file paths is another one. The file paths thing was just stupid. I could could do another show about all of this. Yes. Yeah, I remember at some point – I mean, we had had software updaters in the 90s for the classic Mac OS that no matter where you put the application on your hard disk, if you ran the updater, it would find it because it would find the app by an identifier and then update the app to the latest version. So you didn't have to put it in a special folder. And then I remember, I forget which app it was, if it was iPhoto or one of the like iTunes or iPhoto, but the, the next guys wrote an updater in like 2002 or 2003 or so. I, I, I got So do you know what? It's you the ran very the next updater. article. It's the very next article in Daring Fireball called Finding Abby. You had you you had your knives out for Yeah, I did. Divinian. You I don't know why, but you did. Um yeah, you'd run the iTunes updater and it would, <laughs> it would nuke your whole hard drive. <laughs> if you would, if you had like renamed the hard your hard disk, if you'd done anything clever at all, it would nuke right. your hard drive, which is awesome. right because it was making assumptions about the paths. Yeah, was, oh totally, it was awful. There uh, were rough times. Do you know what though? Um, I'm I'm going to try to address this obliquely. Uh, a friend of ours who went on to manage uh, iMessage, Game Center, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, do, do you know the guy I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly. Okay, so <laughs> apparently, I, I, my belief is one of his first gigs was like, they can't, the guy that wrote that installer, and his thing was to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of funny. It's great, right? <laughs> I feel bad. I know, I feel, I feel bad. bad. The, I don't want to be, I mean, mistakes I happen. Especially I don't want to, I really, I'm not laughing at the guy. I'm just laughing at the circumstance. Like, shit happens. You know, you know what? Yeah. I was, like, the way that you say I really had it out for for Avi Tavanian back then. I don't know I why can, you did. I really don't. I don't know I either. I didn't understand and, and it. it. Yeah. In hindsight, I feel a little, like it was immature, even though I was in my 30s. Uh, yeah, but it's like I two in a row immature. that you're like... Fuck this happy guy. Well, it like, was pen- he's an pen- awesome dude. He's done like a lot yeah. of great stuff, right? Yeah, and in hindsight, you know, it was, you know, helped turn Apple around, you know. And, yeah. And and you know what? And I even I even acknowledge in the article, even acknowledge in the article that the classic Mac OS updates post yeah. next we're, reunification we're under him. and they were outstanding. Like So it was uh, Mac it was o- 8 the- to 9 for whatever. Yeah, but especially yeah. especially 8. Point, I think 8 Eight zero and eight one, I think. Eight point five was oh okay, maybe eight one. Eight point five was big because I think it yep. put quick draw on PowerPC. Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm, 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 I'm definitely iffy with my classic Mac OS history, yeah. but there was a lot of good work done there, like a lot, and it was all under him. Yeah, and then you <laughs> you just come out. But like, I acknowledge that though. But they, you did, you know, but they, I don't understand what the the animosity was. Well, you know, if, uh, file extensions. 
Maybe, was it like a, just a narrative device or which is cool. I mean, uh, that, that's, I don't know. You know. I was a little bit, and I was a little bit more, um, less hesitant to go a little over the top, you know, to, to fill the glass. <laughs> oh yeah. The these up. days you're, you're because I, I didn't have a big audience. It was, a, I was sure. a very small audience. I didn't yeah. like, I would never have expected that he, he'd read what I wrote. And maybe he did. I don't know. But I, you know, whereas now today, I know that if I wrote something like that, that whoever it is with Apple would read it. And not that I'm, right. I'm afraid to write anything critical of someone at Apple, but no, but it would be more I, measured, right? It, like, it, yeah, I want to yeah. have my ducks in a row and make sure that it is right. it is not over the top. I want yeah. it to be at the exact right level of. Yeah, um, these these two posts to me are literally fireballs. Yeah, which is not to say that you don't love them now, and I don't mean to take that away from you but this is just yeah it, it, it's, it's like a bit more word, headstrong than i think you would be now i think you'd be more measured and it's like my smarter, use of right like, it's like my yeah. my use of the word jackass where i was yep. i used to be freer with it yeah uh and i i don't think i ever once used it. maybe there's one time where i regretted it a little bit but um i miss those jackass of the week was funny it was funny, but, and it was usually people being jackasses, but it yeah. got to the point where I realized, though, that it, it, a lot of people who I would call jackass of the week, when you Googled them, the first hit was me calling them a jackass. Oh, uh, that's is, horrible. You don't mean that. I don't, yeah. but I did mean, though, but I, I always meant, though, that when I said someone was being a jackass, that they were literally being a jackass. They were being willfully ignorant or willfully yeah. deceitful. This, that it was, this particular choice is bad. doesn't mean that they're... You don't want to type their name right. into but Google, I use it Google way and less, come up with like, oh, they were jackass like that. I yeah. use it way less frequently now, though, because I know that I've, you know, Daring Fireball is more widely read and more influential. But yeah. I, I noticed I that. And that was a conscious decision, though, right? Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's the same way where if my criticism of like an Apple executive or something like that is, um, I, try, I try to be more measured now. But without being, um, you know, I don't want to be dull and I don't hold back. No, no, make no, sure, I'm not, you know, like no, I said, the best way I can put it yeah. is I don't want to go over the top. I want to get right to the top. I want to make sure it's accurate. Whereas in the early days, I would felt free to go over the top because I didn't feel that there were any repercussions from it. Yeah, and I, I, I don't mean to be blog critic, but uh, so the, the second piece about Avi, immediately after the other one, finding Avi, literally starts with a handful of readers emailed to complain about Monday's mixed review of Avi Tavenian's legacy at Apple's. Vice President of Software Engineering, and you addressed it head on, which is one of the reasons I'm like, man, I fucking totally disagree with this guy, but good work, you know? Boy, those articles are way down in the archive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're way back, and it's totally unfair to hold them to you. Uh, well, I will link them up. All right, we should end the show, but I will put them in the show notes, or at least I'll put yeah, one in the show notes, yeah. and then you get, if anybody wants to read them, you can keep reading next previous article to, uh, yeah, to yeah. read the, I mean, the whatever. time. Don't worry about what it. What was the What was the time? 2003? Yeah, two, it was like a long time ago. Well, I can just search for his name. Yeah. Audio, audio Savvy. <laughs> Finding like you were such a dick. <laughs> it was awesome. Oh. Um, so this is very oblique and probably pretty inside baseball. Uh, I loved that Ben flip flopped his opinion on the on the watch introduction. I thought that, yeah. I thought that was great. I really did, and and it, and it speaks. I mean, I I'm only bringing it up because I read these articles back in the day. 
And I was like, ah, I disagree with a lot of this. And I, I sometimes I read Ben's pieces and I'm like, kind of disagree, but so well thought out, like good, you know, smart guy, very, very smart guy. Yeah, no, it reminds me of the thing I just like two weeks ago linked to a Jason Fried piece where he, uh, you know, that uh, Bezos was addressing 30, well, it's not, it's Basecamp now, not 37 Signals, but came in yeah. and did like a Q&A. And he's, you know, I'm sure he's not the first person to say it, but here's how you can be right most of the time. Be willing to change your mind. Yeah, about, I love that. You know, yeah. you know, because you'll be wrong and then you'll change your mind. And then it it's just funny. And Ben Ben did that with a watch where Ben, you know, had like a sort of almost scathing initial take on it. And then yeah. within a week had talked him himself into being one of the biggest proponents out there. Right. Um, uh, and there was a similar thing with Steve Jobs and Tim Cook. And, it, you know, it came out after Steve died, but like Tim's first, you know, D whatever conference, you know, he said he was a, he was the world's biggest flip-flopper and waffler in the world. But mm -hmm. that's what made him great was one day he'd tell you, this is a terrible idea. It's awful. And then he'd come in the next day and say, I have a great idea. And it <laughs> was your idea. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, that his refute, you know, that he was open to anything, you know, we're never going to make an uh, iTunes for Windows. Okay, we'll make iTunes for Windows. And then, yeah. you know, I, you know, iPod for Windows becomes, you know, a huge hit uh, over and over and over again. And then, you know, it just comes up with people who, you know, have quotes of Steve Jobs saying that, you know, eight inch tablets are a terrible idea, or, you know, big, nobody's ever going to buy a big phone. But and it's proof that Apple is doing things they wouldn't have done under Steve Jobs. No, I mean, it's, you know, the market changes, you know. No, it's, I yeah, well, it's not even the market. I mean. Good I, minds change. Yeah, I, I exactly. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, I think there is a huge, I think it is an error to canonize Steve Jobs. Brilliant guy. I don't want to take that away from him, but, uh, you know. His is not the word of God. Like it's, right. it's not set in stone. Right? Well, it's that word. The the word from the you know again not to get bring too much actual religion into it, but with the Catholic Church infallibility. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That, he's that he's a not the Pope in, of the yeah. Right. Yeah. The Pope is held as infallible, and you know it's it's a real problem. <laughs> yeah. Because you know human beings aren't actually infallible, but they you know but there's a tendency among many to view, and it's funny because it comes from both sides though. Mm -hmm. It also Definitely. it comes yeah. from like even like the diehard Android types who say, "I thought Steve Jobs was infallible, and he said nobody would buy a five inch yeah, right. phone." Nitpicking and, effectively, which is like right. Yeah. And you know, and, and it's also combined with the fact that what's true in 2011 is not true in 2014. You know? Right. So I mean. I believe this is in your Twitter stream somewhere. Uh, you know, there was a guy telling Neaton Ganatra that Apple doesn't behave in a certain way. And, you know, Neaton ran the iOS. He was the director of iOS apps. Uh, and I, I think that there's a projected view of the way that Apple does and does not operate and and uh where it will innovate and where it will just um i don't mean just but where where it adopts the the, the common uh you know implementation the, the 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 for lack of a better word the the compatibility option right yeah and i think you know with the file you know the file extensions and the the credit codes and all of that uh i think apple 
did cave from something that might have been better, but they caved in order to achieve uh, compatibility. And I, I, I noticed that you put that in quotes in one of your tweets, but, but a compatibility with the broader computing world. And they did so in order to achieve um, the ability to communicate with the outside world better, which yeah, I think I, was a smart choice given the time, right? Like communicating was just about to become essential. I, I agree with that to some degree. I, I would at least say that there's a, it wasn't an unreasonable – the other side of the argument wasn't unreasonable. No, I don't think so, which is why I read you in Syracuse. And right. I was like, it was yeah. different sets of trade-offs and right. what do you value more? And I just, you know, I, I, you know, and again, you might be right, though, that in the long run, it worked out better going with those decisions then. And, you know, one of the reasons why is that ultimately we resulted with iOS where the actual file system is hidden. Right. Which I think Neaton is, is a big proponent of. Yeah, that that's fine. Yeah. To me, because then it doesn't matter if under the hood it's a case sensitive file system with file extensions, which I think it still right. is. I know it was for yeah, a while. It, is. it was case it sensitive. Is. Yeah, it's still case sensitive. Yeah. Um, which is fine. I would argue against that vehemently if they ever did that with the Mac, where the file system matters. Um, well, that's because it's exposed to you. But right, yeah. and to usual users, right? Like, right. Yeah. You know, I can conceive of a Mac ten years from now, or maybe even less, maybe five years from now where it's the file system is only for people who've installed Xcode. Right. Yeah. So I have a difference between the, the presentation versus the representation, right? Where the presentation is what you see as a user and the representation is what acts, is actually happening on disk. Right. And I think file systems in a lot of ways have often favored exposing a representation of exactly what's happening rather than, you know... Uh, projecting a, a view that, that that is more useful to the user right i in my analogy on file system or file name extensions as as a user exposed feature has always been that um they're bullshit it's awful it's two pieces of data mixed in up this, in one in one field yeah. separated by a arbit just a piece of a piece of text just a, just a dot well there's uh, a there's a turret sitting there between the two right and yeah. so it's easily you know it's easily it is easily changed, you know, if you want to, but it you know, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who thought that the way you convert a ping to a JPEG is to erase the PNG and type JPG. Do you know what? And that should actually work. It should in theory that would be amazing if it worked. I could see, you know, yeah, again. The finder thing. should do that. That should right. work. It's it know. should say, I noticed you did that. Would you like me to change this to a JPEG? That right. would be amazing. Um but guess what? That doesn't actually happen, and it mm -hmm. didn't happen there. Um, but people, I can see why norm, to a normal person it should work. Right. Um, and to me, it's just like, well, why not put the creation and modification date in there too? And then you have to have a date and a name and a file extension all in one field. Ah, uh, you're just being a jackass. No, it's the exact same. It's the, I, it's I understand. The, okay, I understand. The file system, same thing. The but, file system has always had a field for the creation date and the modification date. 
and that's different from the name and that it never had a it never had a field for the type so and it should have i mean i mean do you want to go over the history of this because no but i'm just saying that two pieces of data in the same field is is a clue so I, and the mac didn't suffer from that the mac had something that was more graceful and it wasn't built for the future and it wasn't built for compatibility with anybody else right but they should have only replaced it with something that was better not with something that was more primitive I think file name extensions were uh, used to be able to name a file, and whatever type it was didn't matter. Uh, it was assumed that you'd be able to feed it into the correct app. This is before GUIs, you know, old school stuff, right? Um, when it became apparent that we would have file formats that would work in not just one application, but in multiple applications, uh, extensions were born, right? And the way that that got addressed was just being literally appended to the end of the file name. It's the most pragmatic, workmanlike thing you can do. And it was so obvious and so basic that I think pretty much universally it was, it was adopted. Uh, the Mac tried to throw it off and I think ultimately it failed because it didn't it didn't command the market share that could that could really make it happen. You know what I mean? Nah, but it wasn't really a, it wasn't a problem for Mac users though. Like so, when you download in the old days, when you would download a GIF file, and on the server that it was coming from, it didn't have any you know uh, type code because it wasn't a Mac server. It would just come down. Whatever software you downloaded with would look at the file extension and just put the right creator code on. Or not creator code, type code. It, it, in well, practice, wait, it would it look dated, at the file extension or would it look at the mime type given by the uh, server? The mime type. Yeah, probably the mime type. Um, uh, and all the all the browsers did it. All the FTP clients did it. It, it, was, it wasn't it was as as much of a problem as you would think it was. It was it was not an issue. No, no, no. I can, I'm, I'm saying this is why the, the file name extension thing exists and why... Right. I think you can explain it to anybody, and anybody would get it. Yeah, but I just, I, in hindsight, to me, it was it, it, the the big thing isn't which side was right; it's that the, everybody was wrong because giving users access to the file system was wrong in the first place. I that's, agree that's with you one hundred percent. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it was what level of technical ability are you expecting the people who do yeah. have access to the file system to have? Well, and, so wait, so wait. I agree with you, but. I don't think it was wrong so much as a necessity at the time. I mean, the first Mac ships, you've got, what, one was it, 640K? Six? No, more than that. Or no, it was 128K. 128, yeah, okay. So whatever it was, you didn't have the resources in order to abstract a, a storage system away, right? And I'm sure that was not even on their minds. I can't believe this is what we're arguing about. I don't know if we're arguing. No, not really. But yeah. here's another factor too. So the TechNote 2034 said use file extensions. Um, yeah. And I think it said use it instead of type and creator code. I'm not sure. Yeah, but it was... I, but the problem that it ran <laughs> into is that it broke the way millions of actual Mac users were using their Macs. And Mac users did things. <laughs> they did. No, like it's adorable. In, Millions, that's how many sell in a quarter these days. Oh, I know. It's a very small number. I mean, it was for a long, long time, the estimated user base 
of active Mac users hovered, and that, that's dangerous when it hovers instead of grows at right. around 20, 20 million. Yeah, um, I, I don't. I'm going to guess that you do that in a quarter or two these days, like that. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, it's like four to five million a quarter, I think. Yeah, they sell. New. So okay, um, so maybe a year you'll. Anyway, I, who knows? Or who knows how many are real yeah, customers yeah, but, though? But the idea, but the like hand, people, the hand wringing over that that pers- I don't, whatever. I'll let you people, you, you as a graphic designer, as an artist, you assumed right. that you could have files with the same extension that would open when you double click them would open in different apps. You know that the ones you created in Photoshop would open in Photoshop, and the ones you created in I don't know Debabelizer would open in Debabelizer. I think that's a great feature. I think it's a misfeature when you send that file over the network and somebody tries to click it and right. Are told I totally that, like, agree. That's not right. You don't right. have that app. I'm like, I don't care. I want to open my app, right? Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Where uh, it did make some problems like that, but it was just again, it's trade offs. Is it better for me? Is it better for me to be able to have all my files open right in the app I made them with, or is it better for you when I give them to you that they have the right code? Right. I feel like we could hit a middle ground where it's like if you strip off the creator right. code during transmit, panic plug. Uh, yeah. transmission like copying and to it, another computer and, and it, it'd be and fine it would, it's not and you'd get a new one based on your preferences when it came yeah out. it would be the default there'd right. be no creative code whatever but the, the main point is, just zoom back yeah. out the main point though is that none of these people none of the graphic design workflows should not have been built around direct access to the computer file system you know there should have been something a little bit more abstracted and the way ios has gone is ideal and it makes everybody happy i think so i agree i mean it's literally a fresh reboot right and uh you know, there's been missteps. Yeah. But well, I, and it's taken a while to get there. Like, and that's, you right. know, the whole iOS document picking thing, which is what everybody brings up is, oh, now we're back with a file system. It's not the file system. It's a no. file system like, what did you call it? Projection. Uh, projection. And I, I actually, I don't pat myself on the back that often, but I really think that projection is the right way to think right. about this kind of stuff. Like that uh, iCloud drive on Yosemite does it. Right. I, I think that this is not – we are not looking at the file system. We are right. looking at a projection of data just as if you pulled up the photo picker. Right. You don't think about the files. You think about the photos that you've got. And I think right. that this is the uh, right. the better way forward. Right. And it's not confusing. It might be limiting. It still is limiting. And until limiting ship, for sure. Yeah. Until, you know, until the document picker, it was definitely limiting because to open the same image on iOS that was from, it was in your photo, in your camera roll, to open it in Afterlight or ViscoCam, you would make a copy of it and import it into their thing. And then they would open it. And then if you wanted to save it back out, you'd have to save a new copy back to the photo roll. So you've got three copies now, your original the one in ViscoCam and the one that was the filtered version saved back to your camera roll. Right. Obviously inefficient, but it didn't, you know, it was inefficient, but it didn't, you know, at least protected people from blowing their photos apart. Right. Know? Yeah. Um, and the new way, you know, is better. It's way cooler that you can just open it right up in ViscoCam and it saves right back to the same camera roll. Um, you know, it's great, but, uh, it was it it that's what that's the ultimate goal all along the whole uh, you know idea that users are not going to have direct access to the file system because so many things could go bad and uh, to me the most telltale sign that it was a, that the file name extensions were a bad idea in the mac was that they immediately defaulted to hiding them yeah 
And was that in 10.0? I mean, it came pretty quick, right? Like I the, think it was in 10.0 where yeah. the file name extensions were hidden. Yeah. And it made people so confused because on the old Mac, in classic Mac OS, if you had a file named uh, uh, portrait.jpg, uh, it didn't have to have the .jpg. So you could just have, you didn't need the file extension. It could be a JPEG, but it would just be named portrait. Right. And if you had another file and you wanted to convert it to a different format, like ping or something like that, you couldn't give it the same name. You couldn't have two files named portrait in the same folder because it's a file system. Right. You couldn't do it. Whereas all of a sudden in Mac OS X, you could have portrait.jpg and portrait.png yeah. in the same folder, and they both said portrait, and they both look like the same image. And because and the file extension is hidden, you, right. you can't tell which is, yes. Right. So, you know, you're just talking yourself in circles when you start saying that it's okay, we can do it, and then to avoid the confusion, we'll hide it, and, they'll, you know, hiding things is never the right idea. Uh, so I, I agree with you, and I did at the time. Uh, I just think it's a pragmatic solution. Right. But, you know, the truth is, uh, the, and the reason I'll say that it was, we were all, we were just wrong, fighting over which ways to be wrong, because Mac users right. shot themselves <laughs> in the foot. Shit, Mac users shot themselves in the foot with the file system, too. They just did it in different ways than Unix and Windows users. I, I just, I, I feel that there is, as yet, an unsolved problem here. But I don't think exposing file systems is the way to go, basically. No. Yeah. no. It's a developer. The file system is a developer level yeah, yeah. thing. Anything else? We should wrap up. I'm kind of bored with you. Yeah, me too. <laughs> good thing we're running into each other in three days. I know, yeah. It's going to be a good weekend. <laughs> well, at least we got all the nerd talk out of the way. Yeah, exactly. Just um, let me, let's give a big... Uh, Let's give a big uh, pitch to the podcast because you're doing amazing, amazing work there. You've dropped a couple of references to it, but you've got a series, and this is on debug. Debug, yeah. Where you've got Nitin. Uh, Nitin Ganatra. Nitin Ganatra. Don Melton. Don Melton. Now, Don Melton, you guys might know, he's, he's left Apple recently. He was the head of uh, WebKit and Safari uh, and adds a, you know, super colorful history in the industry and one of the best storytellers I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, and and these, these are epic, epic podcasts that you guys have recorded with them. If part one was two hours and you just did a part two yesterday. I, yeah. So, I mean, we sat down with Neaton uh, in June and I was, as every podcast, I'm like, man, am I going to get a, an hour out of this interview? I don't know if you do, like, do you ever do, yeah. like, a cold interview where you're like, hey, I hope I get an hour out of this. And then it's, forget it, it ran. And so we had, like, three episodes with Neaton, totaling over six hours, which is horrible. Uh, and then we put uh, Don Melton and uh, Neaton together, Neaton Ganatra together, and we had another two-hour two episode, and we just recorded another two hours yesterday. Right. And Neaton's a guy who's, you know, as again, you don't want to make assumptions about how things work inside Apple. But like you said, he at one point he was the head of iOS apps, right? What the He he literally came up from working on all kinds of old school Apple stuff. Right. Like he through did, doing carbon through Carbon through, file manager, like seriously low level carbon stuff, like the carbon file manager. He's 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 brilliant. We may cut this out of the show, but they've both been at like the same top 100 meeting at Apple. Right, right. And, I, I, you know, if you want to hear smart people speak about Apple, 
a little bit more freely than you're used to because they're not at Apple anymore. They're not at Apple. And, and, you know, Rene, especially Rene, but myself too, we, we afford them a place where, uh, they can just speak freely and we'll cut anything that in retrospect they, they may right. not want to have said. Right? So that's at the, uh, uh, the debug debug podcast is, uh, yeah, I'm more.com slash debug. Yeah. I'm more.com slash debug. And that's, but, that's like the only project that I'm willing to really plug because it's got very little to do with me and has like the guests are amazing. Okay. I was going to give you vector too, but if you just want to, yeah, if you want to do vector, that, okay. Yeah. That's, that's for you. I'll, I'll keep quiet about that. Whiskus is on that too. Oh, is he? What's the one that Whiskus is on? <laughs> What's the one that Jesse Char was recently on? Uh, Vector. Oh, did well, you like that one? I like that one. Yeah, but I don't, was Whiskus on that one? No, he he stepped out and Jesse stepped oh. in. Uh, we just didn't. <laughs> well, that might, maybe that's why I like that. Maybe one. that's why you like that one. Guess what? You're gonna like the next one. Uh, Whiskus is also away. And hey, Dave, please edit this kindly. <laughs> I know you're listening. Love you, buddy. Um, the worst part is he can cut in. He's got the final. Word. I know he can actually just jump in here. And that's also imore.com slash vector. I mean, yeah. more. This, uh, this, this week is Christina Warren, who guess what? Kind of smart. Yeah, very smart. At uh, um, she's a Mashable, I believe. Right, probably best known to readers from uh, her bylines at uh, Mashable. Yeah. Yeah, where I just saw her recently. Where did I see her? The event, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I thought I saw her somewhere else. But anyway, yeah, very very smart. I believe Keen observer. She'll yeah, she'll be at uh, she'll be here this weekend. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Well, two great podcasts that you host regularly, and have both of them have been on fire recently. So anybody uh, looking for more podcasts that are along these lines, boy, I can't recommend those enough. And the, the debug ones are. It's classic, seriously. I mean, I think that I don't mean to butter your toast here, guy, but honestly, I think that they're up there with some of the, uh, you know, the Andy Hertzfeld stuff in terms of, you know, get those transcribed because 15, 20 years from now, that's that's good stuff that's largely been undocumented. We transcribed all of them and we may be putting out a collection at some point. Right, because they're you know these stories are largely untold, and some of them are told, but only like privately. But you know, and again, it's not like they're burning bridges; they're not spilling state secrets. But no, it's uh, often it's years old stuff. But uh, yeah. there's so much context and so much. Uh, I think you you start to understand the culture a lot more. Yeah, no, you definitely do, and, and it's a great place to start. Thanks, and and uh, I again. That's not me. I, we really just set the stage, and we have some great people tell some great stories. Yeah. All right, Guy English, I will see you soon. Yeah, uh, yeah. This weekend. Thanks. Bring your wife. Yeah. I like her better. <laughs>